So, uh, Mike Skeen hater. Uh, apparently a decent skier. IndyCar major fan. And major hater of Andrew Davis. Which is justified. Absolutely. Michael Evanati, if you could describe your dinner with racers you just had in one word, what would it be? Two words. Okay. That, hey, hey, lawyer. No, it, two it words. Was one. Getting an injunction on the two words. Fucking exhausting. Oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> and now for dinner with racers, presented by Continental Tire, with your hosts Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley. And I'm Sean Heckman. And over the course of the last 12 months, not only did we go on a crazy 15,000-mile, six-month journey, but we did it to make an Amazon Prime TV show, which is available now on Amazon Prime. So you got to go check that out if you haven't already. And while we were doing that, we also figured we'd go ahead, just for the heck of it, and make a bunch of podcasts just for you guys, because you deserve so much for free for free and we were able to get certain interesting people none other than mr michael avenatti so uh if you don't know michael avenatti's story uh he has been in the sports car scene for a little bit uh michael's entree into sports car racing is is courtesy of him being able to sort of fund himself and that came through being involved in the business of law for several years he's had his own practice and and been on a number of high profile uh, lawyerings. He's an expert in bird law. <laughs> if you know, you know, but uh, if you are not familiar with Michael Avenatti, he's been in the news quite a bit over the last couple of years, uh, being involved in some very high-profile cases, such as uh, the Stormy Daniels case that was up. And if you Google search him, you can find out all you need to know. It's not really our show to get into all the good and the bad with, with people that are a little bit more on the controversial side. Yeah, and I guess this is a, probably a good time to point out that the name of the show is Dinner with racers, not investigative journalism with racers. So we don't press on things we don't know about, if you know what I'm saying. But we were able to talk to Mike about a lot of his racing exploits, and we did get into some of the serious things that he's facing that he's been involved with. So on National German Language Day, hmm, we went over to Beverly Hills, California, to Nerano, which was pretty much the happening place to be. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's where a celebrity would go to have a drink, like Michael himself. So uh, here are some of the things. You're going to hear about a lot of things, but here are some of the things we should talk about. Uh, you get an in-depth background on um, one of the top 15 submarine movies made uh, called K-19, The Widowmaker. You're going to hear a lot of hate towards Mike Skeen. Uh, you'll hear about calling your mom after being arrested. And more hate for Mike Skeen. Now, obviously, to get to have dinner with Michael Avenatti, you have to have Michael Avenatti drive you to dinner for this joke to work. I'm Michael Avenatti, and I'm totally driving this Acura MDX right now. Thanks, Mike. And, of course, there is no more stylish vehicle in Beverly Hills, California than the Acura MDX on uh, what kind of tires, Ryan? Continental tires. Sean? Cross Contact LX Sport. Take it away, Mike. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Declan, my brother, listen to me. This time, unlike last time, actually listen to the f***ing podcast.
How's it going, man? Welcome back. Dinner, right? See ya. It's been so long. <laughs> yep. We don't do we don't do intros or segments or like all right, rapid fire. Like none of that. You've all done right, all of after it. I was gonna say you've done all of that. I've done all of it and then some. Yeah, right. Did you say let's get after it? <laughs> Is that all right? I know what you just did. You picked up on that. So right out of the yeah. gate. Yeah, he's already like he's already, subliminally yeah, yeah, getting our show things. in trouble. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. So if you know our show, you know we're really big into politics. So yeah, that's where are you at on vaccinations? Let's just talk about the important stuff. Pro-vaccination. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I have no opinion on the matter. Where what? are you on uh, flat earthers? Yeah, I'd say. Big proponent of the flat earthers. No question the earth is flat. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. Good. This I, is going I say well. that. I say that in jest. <laughs> have you ever said the expression, tongue planted firmly in cheek? I've heard of it. I don't know that I've used yeah, it. Yeah, because it's right. stupid. Yeah. 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 No, I'm with you. If you have, like, to, if you have to say that, you got to... Thank problem. you. 100%. Yeah. If you have to declare this was a joke, that's inherently not funny. Correct. Yeah. Right. 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 Then you yeah. shouldn't have said it. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So uh, we got to talk about something that's kind of a pressing issue, a lot going on in your in your life no right question. now. No question. And uh, we got to get to the bottom of the litigation surrounding K-19, the Widowmaker. <laughs> I need to know. Like we, like we saw it listed as, as some of your higher profile projects. Yes. Way back there. when. But what, So what was the, we don't. Way back when. We're both big fans of uh, any movie with Harrison Ford in a Russian accent. <laughs> um, so, uh, what, what was the what was that? So, that case centered around the rights to the story, actually, because it's based uh, on a true event. It was, sort it, of, yeah, it is. It is based on a true event. And at the time, I was representing, uh, along with other attorneys at my firm, I was at O'Melveny and Myers at the time. I was working with um, Carla Christofferson and Dan Petrocelli. Petrocelli is a pretty well-known guy, but. We were representing uh, Intermedia Films, uh, which had acquired the rights from, as I recall, um, the uh, commanding officer of the submarine's widow okay. uh, in Russia. Huh. And there was a big dispute over who had the rights, uh, and there was going to be potential litigation. In fact, I think there was litigation around it. And so it was ironing out who had the rights in dealing with a number of the uh, widows and the families of these Russian submarine officers that were actually on uh, the so K-19, the, yeah. the right. real event. Yeah. That the so movie basically, was if like on. an American production company is making money off of this Russian family, how do you how do you gather that? Well, so yeah, but they had compensated the Russian family, okay, uh, or a couple Russian families, and then other families came forward and claimed, as I recall, and this was a long time ago, sure. that they too had a right to the proceeds. And so there was a whole dispute as to whether the movie could be made or whether it would be potentially stayed, uh, the release, et cetera, depending on the So you were dealing with this it. before it was made? Correct. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, at least I got it ironed out in advance. Yes. Unlike so, what we're working on. <laughs> yeah, almost like everything you guys work on. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a novel concept, right, to get I your shit together before you release them? I don't know if you know how we work. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's a novel Sean, concept for about? you. Right? Sean, what's he talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a whole new concept for you guys. <laughs> So let's get into the Trump questions. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever met Trump? Yes. Yeah, you have? Oh. Okay. Yes. Uh, I've met him on two occasions. Okay. I had a, a lawsuit against him relating to the apprentice and the idea of the apprentice uh, that I settled on behalf of a client, me and the other attorneys working on the case. And we represented a guy who had actually come up with the idea for the apprentice 
And this is no bullshit. This is not like somebody saying, oh, I came up with the idea for Star Wars. Yeah, right. 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 Hear me out, bro. Hear me out. Yeah. Okay. This is this is no and, – and normally it's bullshit. 99% of the time it's bullshit. But this was legit. Okay. This guy came up with the idea for The Apprentice and basically had a treatment that he gave to uh, one of Mark Brunette's right-hand guys. Yeah. Uh, he Mark had Burnett called, being like the reality TV guy. Yeah, exactly. And he had called the show uh, CEO. The title of the show doesn't matter, but yeah, the sure. concept mm-hmm. was basically the same. And he had pitched it to Mark Burnett's guy, and then they stole his idea. And they turned it into The Apprentice. Yeah. And so Trump was a defendant in that case. And Trump was actually deposed, which a, a deposition is where someone's forced to give uh, testimony under oath outside of a court of law. Oh, uh, I know. And uh, yeah, why am I not surprised? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he might be. <laughs> and uh, so uh, as a result, uh, I came to know Trump in connection with that. Yeah. And then fast forward to 2009, and this is not a story that has gotten a lot of attention because I only recently told it publicly for the first time uh, a few weeks ago because I did not want it to become a distraction. But in 2009, I was dating a woman who ultimately became uh, my wife, and we were in the bar at Boa restaurant off of Sunset. Okay. And I went to the bar to get a drink, and I come back, and Trump is all over her. He's there, uh, and he's yeah, looking yeah. her up and down, and he's, like, trying to make conversation with right. her, and, you know, so basically. He's well, he's just looking. But well, you got lucky then. What's that? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Actually, no. I mean, considering that we're now finalizing a divorce, I, I wish he would have taken her. <laughs> right. Okay? It would have saved me a f- boatload of money and a lot of heartache. All right? If only he had been able to. The guy's right. not a f- Closing, close what can I say? Right. Yeah. Close if he could have closed, I'd have been a hell of a lot better off. Right. All right. Right. But yeah. But but anyhow. So so I come back and uh, I introduce myself and you know he kind of puts his tail between his legs and you know moves on to the next yeah. victim. Yeah. She uh, said to me, you know, I've never felt like more like a uh, piece of meat uh, right, uh, before. Right. But um, yeah, we had that interaction back in 2009. But I didn't I didn't publicize that or really talk about it. Uh, until recently because I didn't want early on that to become a distraction because, you know, Trump and his people would be, you know, they would take the position, oh, well, Avenatti's just butthurt because he hit on his woman or some other bullshit yeah, that they right, would right. come up with to, to justify, you know, yeah, totally. my alleged in- animosity for the president. So so, uh, so if somebody pitches an idea to a network and it's sort of along the lines of one thing and then all of a sudden the network has a show where coffee uh hypothetically 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 hypothetically, uh that could be considered that could that could be considered depending on the facts uh you know a theft of a trade secret or a or an idea certainly interesting especially especially if depending on where the pitch took place and what the parameters were uh etc you generally cannot you know steal someone else's idea so we should probably go back to the beginning yeah so i mean people obviously know your name but, uh, but you know, Michael Avenatti, the racer, is, is somewhat known within the racing communities. But, I mean, you know, Michael Avenatti, the early years, I honestly don't know much about. Like, you're from Sacramento, right? Yeah, I was born. So I was born in Sacramento. I kind of grew up all over because my dad was with Anheuser-Busch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ultimately was with the company for 31 years. And so Sacramento moved to Salt Lake almost uh, immediately. Uh, lived in Salt Lake for about four or five years. Learned to ski at a very young age. Uh, at, at Park City, uh, became a, a pretty good skier. Uh, that was kind of my sport growing up. Uh, and then we moved to Colorado Springs. Uh, and Colorado Springs is where I went to my first race. 
I'd never been to a race before. And the first race that I went to, uh, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and I went to the Parks Peak Hill Climb. Okay. okay. That was the first race I ever went to. So your first exposure to any kind of racing is like the biggest off-road race in the Craziest US. thing so, ever. And this yeah. was before, you know, the, not much of it, if at all, at the time was paved. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Now yeah, it's yeah. all paved, yeah. but yeah. it's been a process. Right. And so as I recall, it was very little pavement. I can remember that in those days, you know, I mean, people didn't give a shit, or if they did, they didn't enact any safety barriers. So you would literally be right off the gravel road, yeah. right? Yeah. And these yeah. cars would be right. flying by you up the hill, mm -hmm. and you'd be at a range of like three feet yeah. from the rear wheel, right? right? Which, in, in retrospect, it's nuts that more people weren't hurt yeah. in connection with that. You should go to Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what did you see there? Yeah. There's a Jamaican racing scene that you won't be ready for. But All anyway. Right. So, uh, so that, was, that was kind of my first entree into um, racing is that race. My dad took me to that race and then um, went to a couple uh, – NAS I don't think they were NASCAR. I think it was like a nationwide or nationwide-esque type race at the time um, in Colorado Springs. Oh, and okay. uh, And that kind of lit my fire relating to racing. Yeah. Right. Um, was that, your dad like a car guy or a racing guy at all? No, he wasn't. I mean, we would go to a lot of these events because of his position with Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Right. Weisers would sponsor these sure. events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were obviously active in motorsports. Right. So, like, were um, you like the biggest Bobby Ray Hall fan? I don't know that I was. I was a big. I was a big Mario fan. You know, Budweiser represented. Oh, there was Mario at that time, They represented right, yeah. or uh, sponsored uh, Mario okay. at the time, and I can remember it was like a big deal. At one point in time, I think it was like '82 or '83, maybe even '84, and and uh, and Mario wanted a million dollars, a million dollar sponsorship from Budweiser, yeah. and they thought that was all the fuck. Like that was an unbelievably ridiculous amount <laughs> yeah, of money right, to, right, to, right, to right. demand. Right in retrospect, a million dollars for Mario Andretti's nothing yeah, yeah right, right okay but in in those days that was a load of money but i kind of got into a racing um watching it at that point and then you know also i was when i was 11 12 years old i kind of you know caught the sports car bug mm -hmm. you know the lamborghini countach was big yeah. at that time the, you know the the 308 the ferrari 308 the magnum pi mm -hmm. car mm -hmm. you know it's like a lot of young you know, young kids, young, young uh, adolescent boys, I really got into sports cars. Yeah. And so I had all the posters, posters on my right, wall yeah, right, and, right. and all that stuff. So 15-year-old Michael Avenatti, how rocking was the mustache? Uh, you know, it. Uh, I did not have the mustache, but I actually have a picture. Yes, I posted yes. it of my, of my uh, driver's license. I think of my first driver's license nice. in, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Right. Because ultimately, <laughs> ultimately what happens is, is that we relocate – in 1982 to um, St. Louis, and uh, I immediately become a big uh, Cardinals baseball fan. Sure. Uh, used to, they had a, a Ferrari dealership in St. Louis, and so I used to beg my mom to take me by there from time to time during mm -hmm. the day. Just to look at my, it. Just to check it out. <laughs> just to go in there and just <laughs> right. like to see right. it. Right, right, right. 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 To see right. Um, because, you know, growing up, yeah, I didn't absolutely. see a lot of Ferraris and Porsches yeah, yeah. or Countach. Yeah, you know, I, nice I saw them on TV Louis, or right. something like that. So. Uh, you know, started to really get in into cars more and had an affinity for cars. Uh, and then I started racing go-karts, uh, or at least screwing around in go-karts. But say, if, like, uh, what kind? Back in, uh, you know, like shifter carts. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, I don't know okay. what it was at the time. I, I, they weren't 125, they were less than that. Like the late ADCC yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, and then... Ultimately, I went to the Russell School yeah. at uh, Laguna Seca. Oh, that was my first. Okay. that was my yeah, first race. Common, and okay. then did some Russell races because yeah. they had that racing series. Yeah, yeah. 
at the time that was pretty good. Right. Uh, so, you know, I did that for a while. Uh, then got serious about life, uh, was in law school, came out of law school, and then started to get involved in uh, sports cars. Sound like you were wise about this in the sense that at no point were you going straight to the Indy 500. And uh, so you, you, that was you, you chose. Dream, look, that was a dream of mine. I right. Mean, yeah. racing, was, is my, racing is my passion. Right. right? That, if I could do anything and make a living at it, right. that's what I would do. Absolutely. Right? More so even than practicing law. So uh, I, I love racing. I have a passion for it. And, uh, but I was under no uh, delusions or illusions or grandeur early on that somehow I was going to be a professional race car driver. Right. Hence law school. Correct. Uh, and was that your pressure or your parents? No, I mean, I think it was just a realization that, you know, I didn't come. My dad wasn't a racer. You know, I mean, he likes racing. He follows it. But I didn't. I wasn't in a go-kart at three or four years old. Right. And it sounds preparing. like the family funds probably weren't there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't something where, you know, they were going to fund my racing yeah. career yeah, yeah, yeah. to whatever it took. Yeah, sure, to make sure, it sure. Happen. Well, if dad's not like a diehard, uh, and what, what did mom do? Uh, she was a homemaker. I mean, okay. at one point in time, yeah. she was an executive assistant. But, you know, I came from a solid middle-class house. Yeah, right. So you start out as a, as a lawyer. How do you end up in California? So I graduated uh, George Washington University Law School. I'd gone at night. Uh, it was a four-year program. I got it done in three and a half. And I decide at that point to come out to California because my father was born and raised in L.A. And I'd spent a lot of time in Los Angeles growing up. Came out, out here to visit. Uh, my father's entire family was out in California. My great-grandfather had actually uh, immigrated from northern Italy and had settled in L.A., uh, had come through Ellis Island. I guess nobody told him that, you know, he could stop anywhere along the way. He didn't have to yeah. go all the way to the, to the <laughs> West Coast. Um, he, wasn't very, he, was, he was a hardworking guy, evidently. He wasn't very smart. Um, but uh, <laughs> I say so, so uh, the entire family settled here in California, and it came time for me to figure out where I was going to go practice law. I didn't want to necessarily take more than one bar exam, mm -hmm. so I figured I'll go to the largest legal community in the United yeah. States, which is California. Well, and it's like you can be a lawyer in Missouri, yeah, or you can be a lawyer in California. Which one seems like a nicer option? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I came out, out here. So I came out here in um, uh, early 2000, January, February 2000, uh, and settled here, and you know I've been here ever since. Yeah. Although. You know, as things currently stand, I spend most of my time, uh, well, right now here, but last year, for instance, you know, 80% of my time was in New York. Yeah. In Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Manhattan, traveling. Yeah. So I would travel between here and Manhattan. I still do that mm -hmm. quite a bit. So yeah. I spend a lot of time in Miami, a lot of time here, uh, New York, it's Chicago. All shills. Yeah. So it sounds like you're really the worst places around. to be. Yeah. yeah exactly. Terrible. Terrible. So if somebody were to ask you where you consider yourself from, like I'm from Atlanta. I've been there my whole life, but you bounce around enough as a kid that where would you, would you say St. Louis? I'd say St. Louis. Yeah. Because yeah. I went to high school there. Right. I, I was there from, you know, 12 to 19 years old. So that's, my parents still live there. So I consider, mm -hmm. I consider St. Louis my home. So now you live in LA most of the time and the Rams are here now. So, were you a sports guy at all? Yeah, I'm, you know, I kind of grew up a Cowboys fan, actually, because my mom was born and raised in, uh, well, she was born in Texas, but she was yeah. raised in Dallas. 
but then I had a I had a piece of litigation against the Cowboys in the NFL uh, relating <laughs> to the, relating relating to the Super Bowl. So we have the and, internet. Uh, yeah. uh, relating to the Super Bowl and uh, you know cross-examined Goodell during the deposition. He and I didn't get along very well at the time, although we get along fine now. We uh, I've seen him out and we we talk a little bit and you know he's all good with it. He's good. He's 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 good towards me. I'm good towards him. But we didn't like each other there for a while. Right. And then in the trial. We convinced the uh, judge in that trial to allow uh, me to subpoena Jerry Jones to testify and, and cross-examine Jerry in that case, and he challenged me to a fight in the middle of the trial. Uh, like a fist fight. Yeah, let's say, well, and we don't, yeah. Yeah. We okay. don't need to give a 30-minute background, but, but real quick, because a lot yeah. of people don't know about this they NFL might not. case. Yeah, like, racing fans These are might racing not. fans. Yeah, they may yeah, not yeah. know your litigious history, you know. Uh, so, so we re- yeah, we represented fans that had gotten uh, f- out of their seats at Super Bowl 45. Yeah, they had right. shown up with tickets, ready <laughs> yeah. to go to the game, and yeah. the NFL and the Cowboys had not put enough seats in the stadium mm-hmm. to accommodate yeah. the fans, and as a result, they lost a bunch of money. Right. right. And right. So basically, I would buy a seat that's saying, like, I'm, you know, in one of the middle rows with an excellent viewing opportunity, and I'd be there, and I'd either not be a seat, or be like a folding chair in some other part of the stadium, right? Yeah. And right. So or behind a post. Right, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Which so is the, the ideal Super Bowl viewing experience. Behind the, no, I mean, the, you really want to take concrete. it all in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, many of these people was like sitting in a bat cave. That's what I, yeah, that's right. what I would use. The, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So Jerry Jones challenged you to a fight. Jerry Bear. Who would win? Well, I mean, come on. I'd, I'd, I'd beat that guy's ass. I, just, they, I mean, you know, but but it was it was funny because, you know, a fight, at the time. He, he looks like he's a oh, scrapper. Oh, he's a scrapper. Yeah, he'd fight. Yeah. No, he's a scrapper, but yeah, it he, was it was entertaining. It was very entertaining. That guy, he absolutely hated me because I – he got upset about the third or fourth time that I completely embarrassed him um, in front of the in front of the jury. You know, I'll never forget. He he walks in. He's got his bodyguard in the back, and he's got his he's got this lapel pin. It's got it's a it's a star, and it's got the the, the points of the star are blue sapphires, and it's got this big diamond in the middle, probably uh-huh. like a five carat diamond. It's got it on this lapel, and he wears <laughs> it all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he walks in, gets in the witness chair. I started asking him some questions, and my entire plan was to get him comfortable and, you know, almost lull him into a belief that it was his show. Because this is a guy that's used to running the show. He's not used to answering hard questions. He's, he's used to telling other people yeah, how things are going to be, right? Dallas right. media. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. somebody yeah. must have NFL. told him, maybe his attorney or somebody else told him, that, um, that there were a number of women on the jury. Uh, and it was. It was predominantly women. Uh-huh. And so he gets in this witness box. And he starts, almost in response to every question I asked him, he starts talking about George Strait. <laughs> well, you know, like I was told, telling my friend George Strait the other day, and George and I were talking, I was saying George, and he was saying Jerry. So, like, this yeah. is the guy that the women are going to identify Correct. with to like me. Yeah. Correct. The move. George yeah. Strait. Yeah, don't, don't hurt George Strait's friend. No, so yeah. it was yeah. this whole thing about, oh, well, since women like George since women like George Strait and George Strait likes me, they'll like me yeah. and they won't like Avenatti. This right. was his mindset. So right. he keeps talking about George Strait, George Strait, George Strait. And about, the fourth, doing that. about yeah. the fourth or fifth question I asked him, I finally decided, you know what, now's, now's a good time. Now's a good time to send a message. And so he started in again on this answer relating to George Strait. And I said, hold on, hold on, Mr. Jones. Just, just stop. Wait a minute. Do you understand that we're here about George Strait? You understand we're not here about a George Strait concert, right? Yeah. And he kind of looked at me with this look like, how dare you f- talk to me? And then I knew right. it was game on. Right. Then right, we were right. ready to go. Because he took the bait. Then yeah. We he were took ready, the bait. Then we were yeah. ready to yeah. go. Then okay. the, the hook was firm, firmly planted. Right. And from that point forward, 
it was uh, it was an ass whooping. Right, and the real personality came out. Uh huh. Yeah. And and at one and at one point, he slammed down his hand on the on the uh, desk in front of him, and he said, "All right, that's it. Let's go." <laughs> and I, I in front of a jury. At, yeah, I was looking <laughs> at the jury, and he was behind me, and I yeah. looked around. He goes, he started to get out of his seat. He goes. Come on now, let's go. And I took like two steps towards him in the in the well of the court, <laughs> and the judge goes, "Like guys." The judge goes, "Mr. Jones, there's not going to be any hand-to-hand combat in my courtroom. <laughs> Sit down and answer his question, Mr. Avenatti. Ask your next question." Wow. Oh yeah, and he was seething. And when he left, yeah. I'll never forget this. I was seated at counsel table when he walked out. When he was dismissed from testifying, right? And he looked at me, and the guy sitting next to me leaned over and he said. This was a very experienced former um, federal prosecutor. He said to me, uh, my co-counsel, he leaned over, he goes, I've never seen anybody look with such hatred in their eyes towards <laughs> anybody else in my entire life. Right. And I wore it like a badge of honor, and I still do. Well, and in that moment, like if you're trying to sell the idea that you innocently sold yeah, these people these tickets, sweet general, yeah. he's a sweet guy, he's a man of the people, to literally challenge a yeah. lawyer. Let's go! <laughs> Holyfield! Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, story. not a good way to win people over. There's two different types of lawyers. There's what I call pretrial lawyers. Okay, and these are lawyers that work up cases mm-hmm. and, sort of the, you know. Very big on the paperwork kind yeah, of stuff. Very yeah, very big on the paperwork. And look, yeah. all that's important. Yeah, of course. And then there's trial lawyers. There's lawyers that actually try cases in front of juries. And um, those, are two different, those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people that know how to try cases in front of juries, know how to communicate to people, know how to take very complex uh, scenarios or ideas or thoughts and boil them down into something that's sim- simplistic or simple that can communicate with a, with a jury, with your average jury. Um, and, you know, a lot of those skills that are effective within a trial environment also happen to be very effective on television. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Because... Well, it's very performance-oriented. Correct. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot... There's so, theater yeah. involved. Yeah. Right. Okay? Right. And any trial yeah, lawyer that's worth a damn understands that, especially now, because of movies, right? You mentioned movies. Because of legal movies and legal TV shows. When these jurors come in and they get they get chosen to serve on a jury, mm-hmm. they want to be entertained. Yeah. Right? I mean, they don't want to just sit there, wah, 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 yeah, right, wah, and right. listen while, you know, people talk at them. They want to be entertained. And so part of it's theater. Part of it's entertainment. you got to put on a show. Well, and those who are saying because of the sort of live component, there's a whole taking the temperature of the room and kind of knowing what the panel or the jury is going to be like and sort of figuring out where you fit in the sort right. of hierarchy and pecking order and all so that. To use, so to use, you know, a racing analogy, yep. right, when you're in the car, I mean, you're, you have to be entirely focused on what's going on around you at all times, right? I mean, entirely focused. You've got to be concentrated. And you have to be taking all of these inputs in the environment around you, right. you know, other cars, movements, weather, the whole bit. And all of that, you have to digest that, process it, and utilize it in connection with doing what you need to do on the track and being quick. And so a trial is, a live trial is very uh, similar in a lot of ways. You know, you're taking in, these jurors aren't talking at you. So you have to gauge and read their feedback. You know, eye movements, body motions, you got to read witnesses, yeah. other lawyers. It's a very similar concept if you think about it. Yeah, sure. sure. There's all of these inputs around you, and you've got to take them in, and then you have to adjust your conduct, yeah. just like you would on the track. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. So, super important question then, which movie does it right? Yeah, which is the best lawyer movie? Because, like, that, the Jerry Jones moment is A Few Good Men Do a T. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know who does it best. I mean, there's a, there's a few really good... Uh, legal movies. I mean, you know, a few good men is certainly one of them. Um, I love the verdict. 
with Paul Newman. I think that ah, is an okay. all-time, yeah. okay. yeah. you know, classic uh, legal movie. Uh, love that movie. Watched it not too long ago. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, you know, those are probably my Lily two most favorite. <laughs> you know Legally what? Blonde I've never seen two. it, actually. Legally Blonde yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. Yeah. In my building the other day, yeah. I met uh, the woman. She is friends with somebody who lives in the building that Legally Blonde is based on. <laughs> She's oh, an attorney. Okay. Yeah. Did there she you recognize know. you? Yeah, she recognized me. Yeah. I recognize her. Right, yeah, because yeah. you're the star. Reese Witherspoon <laughs> is much more <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay. What do you think? Okay, so those are two good lawyer movies. Because we ask this a lot about racing movies, and we'll ask you that opinion too. But since you have another career that's pretty popular, what's the worst lawyer movie? Oh, like The Devil's Advocate? Yeah. Some people might say that's a bad, but I actually was I entertained by it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah, pretty yeah. good Absolutely. with Al Pacino. And, yeah. you know, I thought yeah. it was good. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, where I, do you stand on My Cousin Vinny? Love my cousin. Vinny. Yeah, I'll put that one also on the list of the top. Three. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always said, I always said that before I, uh, uh, before I hung it up on the lawyer side, I was going to uh, give an opening statement similar to his <laughs> opening statement, where I would stand up and say, "Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, everything that guy just said was bullshit." <laughs> Thank you. Right. I think that'd be the ultimate, yeah. the ultimate <laughs> opening statement in the trial. All right, racing movies then. Yeah. Who does it right? Oh, wow. Um, there's, there's too many bad racing movies. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't do wonders Have for the you, sport. Okay, well, so let's ask you this. So uh, we've asked this of a lot of people. So uh, uh, ESPN made a documentary called Three, which uh, was a writer's take on Dale Earnhardt's story. It was ahead of its time. It was on ESPN Films uh, and uh, may not have depicted Dale's life the way he would have liked. I'm just going to go on a limb. But there was a there was a character in that movie called the Mill, and basically any time there's a dramatic moment in the scene, they have to use the Mill as the foil for whatever's going on. So when Ralph Earnhardt is lecturing Dale, he literally is like, "If you don't get your act together, you're going to work that Mill." So did uh, did did Mr. Avenatti have a have a Mill for you when you were acting out of line? No, I don't think Mr. Avenatti did. I think Mrs. Avenatti might have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, What was the threat? Well. I think it was a series of threats. I don't think there was one mill. There were there were many mills. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was pretty self-driven at a at a young age. I mean, I was you know, I was a I was a I wasn't a perfect kid growing up by any stretch of the imagination. But I wasn't a hellraiser either. Okay. Right. But you know, I had a significant problem with speeding tickets and the like. And uh, so, what was know, the biggest trouble you got in? The biggest trouble that I got in and got caught, or got the biggest trouble? Oh, <laughs> the biggest there. trouble. That's a good that answer. That would be a two-part right. question. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. The biggest trouble. You know, I got a couple tickets north of 100 miles an hour, and I had a I had a five-liter Mustang. Oh wow! Uh, what is that? What happens in Missouri? It was my it was my pride and joy. Yeah. Well, fortunately, I got I did not get taken in. I was concerned about taking yeah, getting right. taken in. You but do I got that a here. Couple, it's bad. Yeah, I yeah. got a couple. I got a couple tickets of you know north of 100 miles an hour driving around and yeah. being a uh, you know being something Somewhat of a hellraiser, right? I used to, you know, I used to try to set the. Um, uh, I used to have a record between flying between or, or flying driving between St. Louis and Philadelphia that I would always try to beat uh, direct direct driving record. Uh, you know, I did it in uh, I did it in like I don't know a little under twelve and a half hours one time. Right from St. Louis to Philadelphia, I thought that was a pretty impressive feat uh, in light of uh, in light of the turnpike in Philly and some of the altitude you got to go to through, etc. But, you know, I, I used to love to drive fast. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get in a ton of trouble growing up. So I was, I was pretty focused. Well, you didn't get caught. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Yeah. Getting away with it. Do you know what you want, by the way? 
I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. So, uh, one of your, I think it was one of your uh, law school professors, Jonathan Turley, said that you were an adrenaline junkie. What? How does he know that, and why would he think that? Well, you know, I established a pretty good relationship with him in law school. I was his research assistant for okay. a while, for I think about a semester or two. Right. Uh, and so he and I came to know each other in law school. I had him as a professor. Uh, great, great guy. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and then we kept in touch over the years. Yeah. And so I think that he just observed, you know, my <laughs> love of racing and right. my involvement right. in racing and some of the cases that I've some yeah. of the, some of the uh, cases that I've been involved in, and you know, I've never shied away against uh, or shied away from taking on, you know, the biggest, baddest what do you corporations mean? or individuals or individuals <laughs> on noticed. the face of the, no face of the planet. So no you know, proof of this anywhere. Um, you know, have bag will travel. <laughs> I guess it all depends on, you know, it all depends on what you think. You know, what it, what is the purpose of, of life? You know, people used to say to me, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. Mm -hmm. And when they would say that to me, I'd think, yeah, bullshit. That's just because you haven't been to good destinations. That's what I used to think, right? And I've been to a lot of great destinations. And had you and had you been to good destinations, then you want to say this. That's what I used to think. Until about three or four years ago, and I started to really uh, come to, to believe that, that it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about the ride. And, you know, if, in fact, it is about the ride, then very few people have had as rich a life as I have because I've had one hell of a ride. I've been very uh, fortunate, very blessed. I've been... You know, able to do a lot of things in life, whether it be, you know, various races and participating in racing or, you know, taking on the president, being successful in the courtroom. I mean, I've had a hell of a ride. No question about that. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk some racing for a little bit. I mean, that's the title of the show. Uh, so, racing fan, you went to the Russell School, and then obviously law became the focus of your career. And, and during, let's say, the early years where I'm assuming you're either you know, you're doing junior level work or you're heavy in the research or whatnot, not so much the big trial or you are today. Was racing a factor at that point? It wasn't a big factor. I yeah. mean, I'd go out to the go-kart track every now and then. I didn't have the financial resources to really get involved in racing. And then I began to um, reach some professional success. And when I did, then funds became available for me to be able to get involved, start getting involved in uh, in sports car racing. And so so when, when would you say you finally start getting get back to sort of like club level sports car stuff? I would say, you know, in the early 2000s. Okay. Uh, and I started to get involved in... Uh, POC, Porsche yeah. Owners Club events uh, yeah. out here, uh, you know, some PCA events, yeah. uh, and then uh, uh, the GT3 Cup Series yeah. uh, right. by way of uh, of ALMS at the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and was this all with... Um, Bobby Faeta. Yeah, yeah, Bobby Faeta. Yeah, yeah. Great, great, yeah. great guy. Yeah. Bobby is one of the most solid people, yeah. you know, you'll ever meet in racing. Yeah. Uh, honestly, and was he like your first POC guy? Yeah, he was. I mean, uh, um, I, and I'm trying to remember how I came to know. In Southern California, he's a big name for club racers. You know yeah, what I mean? He's, like a he's, man. he's got no notoriety on our show. Well, and he was also, and, he's, and, I, and let me tell you something also yeah. about Bobby. Back in the day, he doesn't race anymore. But yeah, he quick. Wheel. Yeah, he could wheel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, no, no. Very, very talented guy. In yep. fact, you know, we raced in the, a couple of the first races in ALMS. You know, yeah. uh, he teamed up with me and, and Court Wagner at the time, but he's a very talented guy. You know, solid, solid guy. I have nothing but love and respect for him. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so a lot of it was through him. Yeah. Which initially. And the thing I'll give, and I don't know him at all, but the thing I'll give him credit for is competition has been a name out in this scene, and L.A. and Orange County can be very tempting to go bigger than right. you necessarily need to be yeah, in, yeah. in terms of professional motorsports or customer-driven motorsports. And I feel like that guy 
never went bigger than he needed to be in terms of like correct. This is he's going to run a profit. He, he never got correct. Thing. He never got over the tips of his skis. Yeah, yeah he's, right. he's exactly. always resisted the urge. Yeah, right. Which he's, is so hard. He's it is so hard. Yeah. And you know he's the kind of guy that he'll decide I'm going to take six or eight guys and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm not going to try to expand to twelve or fourteen or sixteen because we can all we could sit around the table and name twenty guys, twenty organizations that yeah. tried to do just the opposite right. and and went under, right. Cr- cratered. Yeah, right, and he's not right. like, we're buying a prototype, guys, or we're going NASCAR. Yeah. Like, it was right. just, this is what I'm going to do. It's just these club-level guys. Right, I'm going to do this really well, yeah. and I'm going to make money at it mm-hmm. and have a good time. And, you know, he's done a great job, and he's a he's a really solid, solid guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I owe a lot to him because he was really good to me early on in connection with getting involved in sports cars. Right, yeah. right. So you're doing POC, PCA stuff. Like anybody, you do enough of it that you're, you start wanting to get a taste of Le Mans, Ebring, Daytona, whatever. So at what point – was GTC sort of where you started thinking you should go? GTC being a class of yeah, you said it's not around today. Ran all MC. Porsche Cup cars, yeah. right? So you know, I would say it was probably around uh, 2012 or 13 is when I did my first GTC race. And look, I I think GTC was phenomenal. I think that that I think that that series. I thought what it was. I thought the price point, the budgets that were involved were spot on, yeah. right? You could have a competitive program in GTC at the time for a million bucks. Yeah, right. Okay? Now, in GT Daytona, we were talking about this earlier, it's, you know, two and a half, three million dollars a car. Yeah. I mean, it's priced a bunch of people Way completely out. out of the market. It's batshit crazy what some of these budgets are mm-hmm. for what you're, you know, for really what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's changed the sport dramatically. Yeah. Uh, and that's why a lot of these club events and, you know, GT4 series have taken off. Because if you're a guy that is willing to go out and spend a half a million dollars or a million dollars a year on racing, you can't go compete in GTD. Yeah, right. It's just out of reach. Yeah. And so you're looking at alternatives at that point. Well, I think a lot of these guys look at it and go, well, is the juice worth the squeeze? Correct. Because I'm going to spend triple the budget. I'm not going to go that much right. faster. And it's generally not worth It's just not yeah, worth it. it's just it. not worth the extra money. Yeah. How did you enjoy your time when you first got going in IMSA? So, like, you and Bob first started running GTC, and then obviously there was all the, the Dempsey stuff. What... Uh, how, how did you enjoy the, the first The what stuff? I'm kidding. The, I, <laughs> like, we can get into that in a minute. No, look, I, I, I mean, I had a blast. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, I liked the environment. Uh, I mean, I, I like the series. I like the tracks. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. No question about it. Uh, I ran uh, Daytona with um, Alex with Show. Alex Show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Swedler, yeah, uh, and uh, Patrick Heisman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and and I remember that, uh, and I don't think I've, we've ever talked about this publicly, but it was uh, the Thursday before the race, and we were leaving the track, and um, it was me, Hoisman, uh Fred Portad, mm-hmm. uh, Court. And I think Bobby. I think that was the lineup. So we're leaving the track on Thursday, and uh, Fred Portad and I are in the golf cart, and uh, we're driving over to the hotel, the Hilton, right across the street from the track. Right. And Court is in my rented SUV behind us with the rest of the guys in the SUV. And Court, for whatever reason, is f***ing around and is is bump like bump drafting yeah, almost this is, yeah. Yeah. bump drafting us in the in the golf cart and we're doing whatever we're doing i don't know 20 25 miles an hour yeah well sure as shit, at one point he pushes it too much and he flips the golf cart over yeah. on top of fred and i <laughs> good okay good start now Kill the bus. fortunately yeah. we have a canopy on the golf cart yeah, which, yeah. which may have actually saved 
you know, my life, or at least serious injury, me and Fred Portad. Yeah, yeah. I was all f***ed up on the right side. So all of a sudden, everybody's scared to death that the, you know, Daytona are going to come over because they have the whole security oh, guys. Yeah, right. yeah, always yeah, like, yeah, they yeah, take all yeah. that seriously. Yeah, yeah. So everybody jumps out of the SUV, flips the golf cart back over. They put, I'm like completely, I'm like trash. Yeah. My, I'm, I don't even know what's broken, whatever. They throw me in the back of the SUV. We go over to the uh, to the Hilton to assess the damage. <laughs> yeah, right, right. This is the Thursday before the race. Yeah, yeah now you'll be all right. Yeah. So I am, so I am like, I'm in like really rough shape. And Court is all apologetic about you know, <laughs> turning over. And, you know, Fred Portad's one of the foremost liver specialists in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, he almost killed him as well. <laughs> well, and if you're going to get Court, hurt at Daytona, you want a doctor and a lawyer. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah well, that's well, a good think, No, but think about that. Look, if you're going to get killed at Daytona, you yeah. want to be on the inside of yeah, turn right, four, not on the outside of wrong. turn four. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right? You don't want to be killed in the golf cart. Yeah. If you're going to go, you got to be killed on the track. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So anyhow, so you're in the so, Hall of Fame for the wrong reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so the next day, uh, we're at lunch. All of us are at lunch, and Cord has just been apologizing, apologizing profusely. And all of a sudden, I go to the bathroom and I come back and I said, uh, "Hey, Fred, I need you to take me to the hospital." And everybody kind of looks up the table and like, "What?" And I said, "Yeah, Fred, I was just in the bathroom. I was. I'm like, I'm pissing blood, like straight blood. You got to take me right now to the hospital." And everybody, you know, everybody's in shock. And yeah. Court's like, oh, my God, I can't. I'm so sorry. I couldn't believe it. And so we all start to get up from the table. We walk outside. And I start laughing. And I look at Court. I said, let that be a lesson to you. Don't, you know, stop doing stupid shit. Yeah, right. Connection <laughs> with the fucking golf cart, right? So Court's not like a 20-year-old yeah, trying to prove himself. Like, you're a no, grown but fucking he's, man. He's probably older than 20. you. Yeah. No, he is. Yeah, yeah right. But he is. Like, oh, of course. Okay. But so it gets better. So the day of the race, the day of the race. <laughs> Um, we're getting ready in the in the transporter uh, for the introductions. Mm-hmm. We're putting on our suits and, and all of a sudden Alex Job appears in the doorway. Yeah. And um, Alex says, uh, uh, "Michael, is there uh, something you want to tell me about the other day?" He oh said, boy. "Security just came by oh, and had a discussion uh, with me. Yeah. Is there calling. something? You, is there yeah. something you need to tell me?" And I'm kind of tying my boots and and I look up at him and. And uh, Fred Portad is next to me, and like the whole the whole team's there, and Fred's got like this look of of, of fear in his eyes. Yeah, and yeah. I looked up at Alex, and I go, "No, not really. <laughs> no, I, 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 no, not really. I'm cool." And yeah. uh, and and Fred was like trying to crawl into like the under cabinet of right, the of right. the yeah. of the bench, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Alex says, "Well, you know, security came by, and uh, they actually need to take a report about this incident relating to the golf cart." And, uh, you know, he went on and on and on. And yeah. then finally, and he kept probing me, and I wasn't cracking. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, Swedler was there. Bill Swedler yeah. was there. And he came out from behind Alex and started cracking up. So uh, they put okay. Alex yeah. up yeah, to right. this right. to actually right. do it. Which yeah. you, you know, like a sweet old man that getting, doesn't do that yeah, stuff. Like yeah. the, the getting thing. Alex to do that was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was right. pretty, yeah. right? Because exactly. you know Alex. Right. So yeah. 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 serious as the day is long. And, like, if Alex is like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Like, that's the worst thing you want to hear. I'm sorry, Mr. Job. Yeah. But he was, you know, he was always good to me. I liked Alex quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm genuinely curious, and this doesn't come from a attack place right. at all. Thanks. Is what are you hoping we don't ask about? Well, I mean, look at this point in my life <laughs> with all the interviews. I mean, you're you know you're talking to the guy that no one was interviewed more on television in 2018 than I was. Yeah. Okay, in the United States, maybe even in the world, right. frankly. Okay, I I did over 300 interviews. I've done thousands of print interviews over the last 18 months. There's so much that's out there about me already that's been printed. You know, some of it's accurate, a lot of it's not accurate. 
you know, it doesn't do me a lot of good to, to try to hope that nothing is yeah. asked about. You know, yeah. obviously, look, I'm facing some, you know, very serious charges on two coasts, three indictments. I've got to deal with that. We are dealing with that. We're going to try this Nike case first. Uh, I'm confident that when the facts and the evidence come out in these cases that I'm going to be exonerated. And I, I have to have confidence in the process. You know, I, I have a couple options in light of everything that's going on. I mean, I could be curled up in the fetal position. Yeah. Right? Uh, but why? You know, why would I do that? That That's not my nature, first yeah. of all. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging, and I don't think I'm going down. And so, uh, you know, I would rather enjoy my life right now and go on about my business and yeah. do what I've always done. Yeah. And, and whatever happens, I'm going to have to accept, and, and we'll see what happens. But I feel... You know, I feel as confident as I could under the circumstances right now. But clearly I'm concerned about that. I'd be a complete moron if I wasn't concerned about that. Are you disappointed in me because I'm wearing Nikes right now? You are? Yeah. Well, it's good to see you guys. Take care. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like the Nike case very specifically. Obviously everything, you've got you know, some, some crazy number of indictments out there right now. Um, or 35 counts or something like that, right? Um, um, it's crazy, um, but uh, uh, it's actually a few more than that. Though. Oh wow! Okay, well, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. So to that point, um, you know, we're not here to go over the ins and outs and all that. Well, we're, not, we're not journalists. Unfortunately, but, but they're all or fortunately, cases. I'm not at liberty to you know get into the details right. as much yeah. as I would as much as I would like right. to. I mean, I just I can't. I'd be a complete moron if I went into details on these cases. On these active cases. Yeah, right, so, right, right, right. You know, and and uh, I'm smart enough to know that. Uh, I shouldn't be representing myself in connection with making the decision as to what I should or should not say sure. right now. So yeah. I'm yeah. restricted in what I can talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cases. fine. We just tell accept, us that. Or assume that. Yeah, yeah we, we get and, that. And look, you know, I'm going to put my confidence in the system. Yeah. I'm going about this as I would any other case where I represented uh, a client. We're going about it in a methodical way. Uh, we're going to try that Nike case first. Right now it's set on November 12th. It may or may not be continued a month or two. We're seeking a continuance right now to allow us to get everything done before we go to trial in that case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, I'm highly confident that, uh, that a lot of this is going to work out, if not all of it, in my favor. And if, any, if anybody thinks that I would be in the same position had I not taken on the President of the United States, they're out of their f***ing mind. Really? I mean, there's no, there's, no, there's no question that I would not be in this position facing this much heat had I not taken on Donald Trump and been a considerable, if not the most considerable threat to his presidency. It's just, it, look, you, you, talk to, you talk to criminal defense attorneys, you talk to people that actually that, that do this for a living uh -huh. and have done it for decades, and they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, this is unheard of what has happened here, okay? Now... Um, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. And we're going to have to wait and see, you know, only, only a portion of one side has been told in all of this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, am I concerned about it? Of course I'm concerned about it. I have to be concerned about yeah. it. Now, I can yeah. interpret your statement one of two ways. That you, a conspiracy theorist can say, well, the system is now specifically out to get you because you went against the, you know. The, the boss. The, the, the <laughs> boss. Yeah. Um, or a more sort of conservative answer would simply be that you're in a much more visible position than you've ever been and when somebody is highly exposed they're just inherently more right. of a target. I think it's both I think okay. it's both frankly. Mm -hmm. I, I'm mm -hmm. not I'm not suggesting there's a there doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy. Right. You know, there's a lot of prosecutorial discretion. People don't understand prosecutors make decisions all the time on what to charge and not to charge. Yeah. And yeah. the fact of the matter is is that 
you know, many saw me as the biggest threat facing Donald Trump for a very long time. And a lot of people in his own camp acknowledged that. I mean, Steve Bannon acknowledged last uh, fall that I was the biggest threat to Trump in, in 2020 and others. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was very visible. I put myself out there. And, you know, as a result of that, at least some of this has resulted. Right. And yeah. so, you know, and anybody that claims otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. So I'm not, but I want to be clear, I'm not trying to paint some grand conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah right? no, I get that. But I think it's probably both of the issues that you raised. Yeah. So what I know we're going to get is you didn't put his feet to the fire on X, Y, and Z of things that honestly I probably didn't even give well, a shit about anyway. Well, no, but look, you know, and let's counter that. I mean, yeah. If I permitted you guys to ask the questions, you would ask them, and I would answer the. I would well, you'd answer give us the, the answer questions. Expect, yeah. Right, but the the fact of the matter is, I'm telling you up front right now that I can't get into the details. Yeah. And so it's not as if you didn't want to or didn't try to. I yeah. shut you down. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah. Right. Right. Because right. I'm not able to. I'm not able to get into the details. Yeah. Right. I'm highly confident that I'm going to be cleared in this Nike case, mm-hmm. which right. is the first case that's being tried. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, this case should have never been charged. Uh, frankly, uh, it's outrageous that it was charged. And is that but because you feel like what you were offering was simply just a service based on what was going on with? with well, the- yeah. And again, I, I've got to be really careful in what I get into because I don't want to. I don't want to upset the judge in the case or anything yeah, yeah, else. But totally. all, all I'm going to say is, is that you know, um, and here I'll, I'll quote a filing that we made a couple days ago. Let me just do that. You know, at all times I was representing a client who had valid legal claims against Nike. Uh-huh. And we were engaged in settlement negotiations and discussions relating to the settlement of those claims. And um, no different than thousands of attorneys day in and day out engage in settlement negotiations sure. and hard-nosed right. bargaining tactics right. with opponents on the other side. That's what we do, okay? Especially, you know, when someone comes to me. You don't come to me because I want to be on somebody's Christmas card list. You come to me because you are up against it. You're up against a, a Goliath. You're a David, and you need a guy to go to bat for you. And there's not a lot of other people that will bring the um, that will bring it the way that I will in that context. That's why people come to me. That's and they've come to me to do that, and I've done it successfully for nearly 20 years. Right. And this, this is me saying this, not you, but um, I think New York Times had, had reported that there were statements out there, like literally saying you've got them by the balls and things like that. One could argue that that's you know that's an attempt at extortion. And well, uh, you know, I'm going to say is look. Um, you know, it's, I think it's a very dangerous thing when you take quotes of a of a lengthy meeting or communication and you pull out one co- quote as opposed to seeing the entire context. Okay, and no one has seen the entire context yet. So, and and you know, again, I'm I'm looking forward to to the truth coming out because um, I I think it's going to result in my exoneration. I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes in connection with what really happened here. You've always been part of the political scene, more or less. Uh, you, you were involved in the Obama campaigns, as I remember. No, actually, so I was involved in, in democratic politics between Ron, between uh, 90 and 97. Okay. I did some work with Rahm Emanuel way back oh, in right, the day, yeah. and then worked a lot in democratic politics, and then got out of the game in 97, and had no intention of getting back in the game. Right. Zero Intention. Yeah, you were like a poli sci major, right? I was a poli sci yeah. major, but you know, kind of been there, done that, and had had grown beyond it, and did not have any um, interest in getting back in. And never in a million years, you know, two years ago, if we would have been sitting here and talking, and you would have told me that 
10% of the stuff that's happened over the last two years was going to happen, that I was going to represent a porn star, Stormy Daniels, sue the president of the United yeah, States, yeah, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I would have told you, you know, I would have driven you guys to the psych war. I right. would have told you you're out of your mind. Now, and the story was with her was that, that you were, this wasn't on your initiative, but you were referenced over to that. Is that correct? correct? Because, you know, a lot of people would now argue that since you are in the media so often that this was something that you had done from the beginning, ploying to get yourself out yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, I woke up one morning and I was like, you know, you know what I really need? I need to go find a porn star that had sex with the president and then entered into an NDA, got paid to impact the 2016 election, uh, and and now wants to uh, get out of the NDA and take down the president. Okay, where do I find that? Let me see. Where do I find that? I mean, the idea, the, the idea is ludicrous, right? Like. It, the idea that I'd be sitting there thinking, where can I find a client like this or trying to solicit a client to accomplish this is insane. Right. And yet you did, man. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Here you are. Now you're on our show. You've peaked. Yeah. So. Hey, you finally made it. I know. It's about time you guys asked me to come on. <laughs> it's like I'm doing all like, this crazy to get I on know. here. I was like, I what more do I have to do? I'm done with you, Wolf Blitzer. I yeah. just want to talk Jesus to you. Jesus Christ. I, I had like, to get indicted three times on two coasts to finally get your attention. <laughs> On the second one, we were starting to pick up on it. Okay, maybe. The second one, I was like, oh, I think he's talking to us here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you've been on, like, every news show in America who is the, like... And nobody has been as good as you two guys. Let me just say that. I mean, this is just... But you say that, but again, if you're a trial lawyer, you know what to... How to, how to butter our bread. Oh, yeah, Yeah. you're just... You're You're just saying this to warm us up. No, no, you guys, listen. Listen. Go ahead. CNN and MSNBC yep. and CBS and all the majors, they got nothing on you two guys. Yeah, it is, yeah it's working. Nothing. Yep. What, like if tomorrow I get called from X, Y, and Z, I get all the, all the calls, and I call my buddy Mike Avenatti, and I say, hey, all these guys want me to come on the show. Who's the worst show I'm going to have to go on? Who's the one I'm like, no, you want to go on that one. That one's a good one. And I'm not talking about the on-air side. I'm talking about the perks. Who's got the best green room? Nicest people. The, per- the perks aren't extraordinary i gotta be honest with you oh yeah but, I mean, but you gotta remember like joe listener of our show like doesn't go no on no, no 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 but i will just say that look yeah, first of all a right. lot of people think that i get paid to go on these shows oh okay. which yeah i don't get any compensation right. to go on any of these shows okay cnn doesn't pay me msnbc doesn't pay me right. nobody pays me okay not a dime mm-hmm. okay there's no consulting gig there's no money and and if they are paying me then i need to find out what the hell's going yeah, on there's right. a lot of money because yeah, yeah. i haven't gotten any of this um <laughs> Is the value for you one that just the exposure makes you more valuable as a as a as a litigator, or is it is it more that uh, creating a public swell towards the direction of the thing that you're working on is going to help you? No, it's it's the the public swell is the okay. predominant issue more right. so than any other uh, you know value for my personal uh, media presence, uh-huh. for instance. And you know what a lot of people don't understand is is that there's been a lot of of, of accusers against Trump, a lot of women, okay, a lot of women that have accused him of far uh, far more devious things, if you want to call it that, than Stormy Daniels. Uh-huh. But everybody knows Stormy Daniels. Right, right. Okay, and Stormy Daniels is the case that had the staying power. And the reason why that case had the staying power was because of the PR strategy that I implemented in connection with the case and because of the fact that I was out there so much. Yeah. Okay, if you take me out of the mix and if I'm not out there on the forefront, the Stormy Daniels story in her case is a 48-hour story yeah, a couple days okay a lot gone. of people don't even know they can't even tell you karen mcdougall's name karen mcdougall okay had a far more extensive relationship with donald trump she was also you know a quote porn close quote star okay if you, you know want to talk to say that i mean she was in playboy and some other things um 
you know, Jean Carroll is accused of president of raping her. I mean, that's a much bigger allegation than Stormy Daniels' allegation. Mm-hmm. That was a 48-hour story. You know, and I can go through the list. I can give you 15 examples of this. And the reason that none of that stuck was because they didn't have the right PR strategy and they didn't have somebody like me, frankly, out there advocating on their behalf. And, you know, I'm pretty good on television. And so I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your argument would be that because you kept putting yourself out there, it created enough public attention to it, that eventually the feds had to react to, to where this money was coming from. Well, look, some of that was already in the works, but it certainly brought a huge amount of pressure to bear. Because Common uh, Cause to, had already filed. Yeah, but I mean, Common Cause has, has filed all kinds of things. Okay, so I don't take sole credit for what happened with Cohen by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to take some credit. There's no question that we created a firestorm around this thing because there was so much public attention. I mean, you know, at one point in time, I think I did something like 167, you know, interviews in, you know, like a 60-day time period. I mean, I was doing, you know, there was days I did 15 hits a day, 15 individual interviews on different shows a day. I mean, that's an ungodly number, right? And um, so, yeah, look, I put myself out there and I think we succeeded to a significant degree uh, in what we were trying to accomplish relating to bringing a groundswell around the case. So on that, do you, um, do you understand the criticism, especially during the storm in uh, Danielson? Because here would be the argument I would imagine. You know, the, the specific lawsuit with, with Stormy was over a signature. Well, a little more than that. Well, no, no, no. But, 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 but your, your suit, was it the specific Stormy case that you were representing was you were trying to get out of the contract the for NDA. an NDA, correct. And that, of course, then blew up the whole idea of, well, where did this right, money come they, from to put no, it but see, the they NDA, up, but, but see, they f***ed up because right. I always knew from the get-go that what they should do is just roll over and let her out of the NDA. But they, were, but they took the bait. Right. Oh, but they took the bait, and I knew they were going to take the bait. And the bait was they were going to fight us on it. And the more they fought us on it, the bigger public spectacle it became. No, and I and, fully and, understand and, this. And they... And they you know, they took the bait, and I was counting on them taking the bait. Had they done what they, you know, what they should have done was, from the get-go, they should have just said, look, we think this is, we think this is a bunch of bull****, all right? And we don't agree with the allegations, but you know what? We don't care about the NDA. Let her do whatever she wants to do. And that would have taken all the air out of the balloon. Because basically, she, well, she'd still write her book at that point, but that book is no, just a porn star writing a book. No, but ultimately, you know? that's what they did. Right. But they did it too late. To the point that he'd already been. No, well, correct. That Cohen was already under pressure. I'd been out there making a big deal out of this, brought all this attention to bear. They waited far too long to do what they should have done back in March. We filed on March 6th. They should have done what they did ultimately. I think it was in September. They should have done that in, you know, the first or second week of March. And this would have been, you know, we probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. But your argument would basically be like you wouldn't have been the most interviewed guy in 2018 had on, like, the second CNN appearance. They just let it happen. Correct. And let no, that's what they should have done. And that's what I told And that's what I told everybody around, around me. While this is happening, your social media presence skyrockets. Well, I don't know how you would possibly say that. I went from, like, 567 <laughs> followers on March 6th to 700,000-plus now. Yeah. What was the biggest jump you saw in a day? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. I mean, you know, I wasn't tracking it that closely but yeah. I was yeah. you know I was watching it you know yeah. I mean the first time when it went to you know 10,000 and then 50,000 and then 100,000 and some friends of mine would call me and say dude you're at a quarter million in fact some of the people in the racing community were like yeah. you have a quarter million you're the most followers. followed driver in IMSA yeah, yeah right. exactly. and yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I don't remember what the biggest jump was, but I, I mean, there was some pretty, yeah, you know, there was like I think some twenty or thirty thousand follower days. Yeah, at, at at the point where that starts to grow, I have this now on a very much smaller scale. Uh, I I don't just post whatever I like. I used to just say whatever I wanted and boom, didn't care. And now it's not because I'm really protecting like the people that hire me. It's more because of like the offensiveness that this current you know time we're in, where everybody's mad about anything, that it's like. We were just talking about something yesterday where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. Nope, you can't even do that because someone will make the jump to this other thing that makes it their sensitive issue. Yeah. So, like, as you're growing to this quarter million, half million, now, like, damn near a million following, are you are you thinking every time you hit send it's going to be, like, pulling the, you know, kind of doing the slot machine? Like, I'm going to get good or bad here? Yeah. yeah I mean, you um, – look, I've gone through a whole uh, – you know, transition, if you will, in connection with this. I mean, so we had the, you know, we had the the filing of the case and all of a sudden my social media exposure explodes and then I'm dealing with the case and then I begin contemplating maybe whether I'm going to make a run or not. And if you're going to make a run, all of a sudden your messaging and things you say are obviously geared towards that. Then, you know, that falls apart. And so you, uh, you know, you feel a little more liberated. You don't have to be as selective in what you say. And then you reach the point where I am now, which is, not that I don't care, because I care, but I'm not as careful. And maybe this is a good thing, or maybe it's a bad That's thing. That's awesome. We'll and, see. But I'm not as careful in what I, you know, put out there. But within within re- within reason, within reason, right? But but you know, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try not to say anything stupid. But I have learned, or you know, I don't want to be three drinks in tweeting from the bar at one of my favorite drinking establishments in yeah. uh in la yeah. leave that up to me yeah or the president <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean how is it that this guy doesn't drink yeah can you imagine if he drank oh, it'd be way more fun so we do a uh, pass along question where the previous guest asks a question of the next guest and without uh, knowing who the next guest is well no we we generally have an idea of our next guest this year's been a little bit chaotic, and we'll tell yeah. you who your next one is. But anyway, so uh, last night we had a lovely dinner with uh, Dick Simon. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if you remember his days in the uh, 90s IndyCar. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm just going to be straight with you. I don't think he's a fan of your politics, but he also had some ideas that immediately into the episode we were like, shh. Why are you such an asshole? Actually, it was, uh, and I wasn't even going to ask this, but I'll just go. He goes, what the f*** are you thinking? Was it? What the f*** are you thinking? Yeah, what the f*** are you thinking? And I have no idea. But then we were like, based on like, like what, it, what context? In, like, in, is in a, what? Like, you don't agree with politics. You didn't like this. And he's like, T- you say, <laughs> like, this is this is Dick this Simon, Michael Evan. And he's like, he's not going to hear it. But okay, you're 85. Um, uh, do you have a grasp on reality? And we're like, okay, but we need a context. And, for and that. what? Like, because of again, you don't agree with politics of his, or like this? Like, what do you? I, you know, I'm I'm tempted to say. Yes, I have a grasp on reality, <laughs> as evidenced by the I'm fact tempted. that your name is Dick. <laughs> sure. So there, there you have yeah. the there reality. The reality is that you, my friend, are a dick. So there you go. <laughs> so we, we we finally were like, but we need a question, like like with some sort of context. So, and I quote: If by some grace of God you were to become nominated as the president. Who would be your vice president? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, you know, I had given some thought to this, obviously, uh, last year when I was thinking about uh, when I was thinking about running, and 
I think that uh, I would select a, a woman vice presidential candidate, uh, and that individual would probably be um, either uh, Elizabeth Warren or Stacey Abrams. Why do they have to be a woman? Well, it doesn't have to be a woman. In fact, you know, it's interesting because when I was traveling the country and I traveled extensively last year when I was exploring this and I talked to a lot of people, I went to, you know, 25 states and spoke in a lot of events. And I would ask in small groups the, the following question, and that is that if it, if it was a white male who was nominated, would they have to pick a female vice presidential candidate in order to prevail? And what was interesting is when, you, when I would ask, and I would ask men separately from women. It was just kind of an informal poll that I would do. And when you, you would ask men, 99% of them would say, absolutely. You've got to pick a woman. But when you would ask women, 98% of them or 99% of them would say, no, you don't have to pick a woman, which was shocking to me. Not that you shouldn't, just it didn't matter. They yeah. didn't have to be, yeah. right? And that was shocking to me because right. I would have expected just the opposite, or certainly I would have expected sure. more women to sort of be, be vocal about yeah. the right, to yeah. be vocal about the fact that you had to pick a, a woman vice presidential candidate. But I think based on where the Democratic Party is right now and turning out voters, et cetera, that it is going to be necessary to pick um, a female vice presidential candidate if a white male is nominated. I also have been very vocal about this. A lot of people don't. Di di a lot of people disagree with me about this. This is a five-state race in 2020. There's only five states that matter. Um, Wisconsin, Ohio, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. That's the race. And so the question is not who is the best candidate to beat Donald Trump nationally. It's who is the best candidate to beat him in those five states. And the best candidate to beat him in those five states is Joe Biden. There's no question about it. I wish he was 20 years younger. He's not. Is he perfect? No. Is he as progressive as I would like? No. But the Democrats can't allow the cannot allow perfection to become the enemy of the good. So I find that an interesting comment from you because there was a time you were considering a run. Yeah. And you feel free to disagree with me, but I would argue you're a very different personality from Joe Biden. Um, and I'm not talking about where you stand on issues, but the way you guys present yourselves. You know, he's still sort of dopey grandpa yeah. who maybe doesn't know where his hand shouldn't go. Um, uh, low hanging and fruit. It was, but it was <laughs> also true. Um, uh, whereas you're not afraid to mix it up with reporters. You're not afraid to call people out and sort of be a little bit more brash. Um, the very thing that certain parts of the Midwest can be turned off by. Um, well, but see, that's, the, that's kind of the rub because you're not going to beat Donald Trump by not being a fighter. Right. If you want to beat this guy, you have to crawl down in the gutter with him and give and trade shots with him. Now, the question is whether Biden's going to have the ability to do that. At one point in time, he did. You know, that was kind of my lane. Right. My lane was when I was going to run. This, yeah. I was right. I was the guy. I was the fighter. I was the fighter of the group. You know, if I got in the race right now, I'd be the fighter in the group. Right. I'd be the most aggressive, brash candidate on the Democratic side and the guy that would go toe to toe with Trump. And I think that's why I scared the shit out of you know, Trump and, and a lot of people on that side because they realized that I could be a significant problem, you know, were that to be the matchup. I mean, imagine, you know, I could very easily go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that guy in a debate stage. The, the ratings would be off the chart. Yeah. I can't I believe mean, people are like, do this. No, the ratings would be off the chart. It would have been, you know, an extraordinary amount of fun. It would have been an absolute battle. And, you know, I look, I think there's a decent chance that I could have pulled it off. I, I really do. I believe that in my heart because I believe it's a good matchup. You know, here's the problem. A lot of people don't look at this the right way. In my view, you know, it, I mean, we're racers. 
But, you know, for people that follow baseball, you know, when it's the, when it's the bottom of the ninth and the tying runs on third and the winning runs on second and the other team brings in a pitch hitter, you got to call in a pitcher from the bullpen to pitch to that hitter. Okay? You look in your bullpen, you don't bring in the best pitcher in your bullpen. You don't bring in the starter. You don't bring in, perhaps, even the best reliever. You bring in the pitcher that matches up best against that hitter because it's all about that out. That's all that matters. Okay? So right now, the Democrats know who the hitter is. It's Donald Trump. They know what he's do- They know how he's built. They know how he acts. they got to pick the guy that matches up best against him, not the person that would make the best president. But that's why I find it interesting that you say Joe Biden. And I, I'm not – it's not a statement about my opinions at all as much as, like, Joe Biden – in theory, is not the guy that's going to go toe to toe in the way that, that you very well, willingly would. And if you're saying it's these five states that need to matter, yeah. But the problem is, you got to weigh. I mean, it's a couple different factors. It's who can get in the gutter with him? Who can appeal to a lot of these suburban white voters in those five states? Frankly, and whose politics are going to be um, as moderate as is going to be necessary in those five states? So the pass along question, since we're kind of where we started on that, just to give you to think about. Tomorrow we're going to have uh, lunch with Craig Breedlove, who was, is one of the fastest men alive. I think he's actually the second fastest man alive by, you know, the Guinness Book of Records, but was one of the first people to go over 500 miles an hour, 600 miles an hour, things like that. And he was doing that in the 60s. If you could ever ask Craig Breedlove anything ever, what would it be? You know what? I'll, look, I'll ask a I'll ask a question that is it's probably not PC, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I think it's not a, on this a relevant, show. I think it's a relevant question. So yeah. the question is: Are you fearful of dying in a car? Were you? Was I? Yeah. No. no. I always considered. Look, my attitude was: If it was my time, it was my time. And frankly, if I was going to go out. There's probably no other other way I'd rather go out, right? I'd, I'd, I'd rather go out doing something that I love that I have a passion for. That's That was always my view towards it. When you start going against the president of the United States, um, does that come with death threats? Oh, yeah. Especially absolutely. with social media oh, and stuff? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A ton of death threats. You know, a lot of ugliness. Any people, actual scares? People don't have any. What's that? Do you have any actual scares? Well, I mean, there was, you know, there was a, there was a handful, maybe 10, 12, you know, folks that I took pretty seriously, um, that we took pretty seriously. Um, but, uh, you know, it goes with the territory. I mean, this is a very toxic. People don't, people don't understand that are not in it, that are just on the outside looking in. It's a really toxic environment, more so than it's really ever been. Um, today's day and age, especially because of social media, because people believe that they can engage in that you otherwise would, would never think of engaging in because of the anonymity of social media. So you just said 10 to 12 potentially credible death threats. Meaning that there must have been... Which, yeah, it means there's tons probably of others. 30 times that or more. Uh, oh, yeah, there's probably... I mean, in the last two years, I mean, I've probably... You know, I don't know, 150. I don't right. Know well, what, where I'm going with that is, is so I've I've gone, I've had, uh, let's think, oh, zero. So I've never left my house <laughs> wondering if there was some crazy person on the other side of the street waiting for me. How? And I genuinely don't know how much does that f- you up when you start walking from the movie theater to the car or getting, you know, into an airplane or whatever it is. Like I really don't know how that mindset. Changes. You know, it, it, it. I mean, obviously, you become a little more careful, but. It probably goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about relating to, 
you know, being concerned about, you know, being injured or killed in a race car, right? You take a position at some point, you know. This is the risk you accept. It's a, it's a risk you accept, and, and you take it, and if it if it happens, it happens. Now, you know, you don't book a flight to Ru- You don't go on vacation in Russia. Right. Right. I mean, I didn't leave the country um, last year except for 36 hours to London, and there was a reason for that. And right. the reason was yeah. because of my safety outside the, you know, I, w- I was given some, you know, very strong advice that it was not a good idea for me to leave the country because the chances of something happening to me were, were significantly greater, especially depending on where I went. So I didn't go anywhere last year um, except to London for 36 hours. And, and, you know, during that trip, I was a little nervous. But, you know, it's just something that you accept. And, and you decide, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to curl up in the fetal position? Are you going to hide out in your place? Or are you going to go out and live your life? You said to us two years ago, you would have never even thought, considering was a, you know you were just you were a lawyer, did some racing, worked on some yeah, cool had, shit. Right, had a good but life. Yeah, the, the the presidential run wasn't wasn't exactly on the cards. Then all of a sudden you're in the national spotlight. It's it's like a driver starting to think about oh shit, I have a car that could win the Indy 500, or uh, all of a sudden an actor gets nominated. Like you start thinking about what would happen. Then it gets taken away. What was what was the moment where you knew it was over? Part of me is probably still a little delusional. I haven't given all up. You know, all hope, but I mean, that's that's a racer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right? I mean, yeah. until the checkered flag. Yeah, you're like, no, I can yeah, maybe no, stick no, it in this. There's yeah, wave yeah. There's no, wave we're only three laps down with five to go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Got a couple of yellows, a couple of wave buzz. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So, you know, clearly, you know, I had I had these bullshit uh, allegations made by this woman that I had a relationship with, and and that was a big deal. And then I was cleared from all of that. There were no charges, but that had a huge impact on my plans because, but for that. You know, I probably would have announced in early February. Right. Okay. But, and, but query, and query whether, had I announced, whether these indictments would have then actually come down or not. Because that would have, there would have been a whole other dynamic around it. I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, clearly had I been an announced candidate for the presidency of the United States, I would not have been in a meeting representing a client against Nike. I would have been out on the campaign trail, for instance, okay? So, um, you know, I still was thinking in March that, you know, I might decide to make a late entry. Uh, but then certainly as of late March when uh, when these most recent problems surfaced, you know, that was effectively the the end of that, the end of me thinking I had the car to win the Indy 500. Sure. Okay. But so you think it started with sort of the, and these, these were allegations that were dropped, but the, the allegations of abuse were, you think, sort of the beginning point of, of this kind yeah, of Yeah, that was November. You. Yeah. I'm sorry. Of where, of where any chance that this was where everything went against you to sort of make a yeah, real proper Yeah, run. I mean, mid-November of, of last year when that, you know, when that, when that went down. Uh, and then I was, you know, there were three separate investigations. I was cleared of, of all of it, which is the correct result because it was all bullshit. But, um, but that was kind of the tipping point. You mentioned earlier a couple of potential running mates for your... Uh, you want to put your hat in the ring? No, I'm, I'm not qualified. I was thinking, like, I could be, I don't know, like... Department of Defense somewhere that's, there. That's defense is where you're going. Yeah, I'm gonna. Okay. I, I want to have. Yeah, I want the football. I was gonna create a. Uh, the football. You know, Department of Motorsports. Okay, oh, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Um, but we we actually had a candidate to be a potential vice president for you. Are Are you familiar with Johnny Rock Page? Who's Johnny Rock Page? How dare you, sir? Well, I'm really surprised you said that because you formerly worked with Johnny Rock Page's maybe or maybe not girlfriend, Paris Hilton. Okay. Okay. Yep. And so I did not work for her. I worked against her. 
Oh, well, she was a, she was so a then, defendant. So then this guy might actually be willing to work with you now because she she also declined him. Yeah, she refused to go out with him despite him buying many cars for her. Yeah. So Johnny Rock Page, we learned about, I actually learned about through Sean, um, but he uh, he was a gentleman racer in motorcycles. Apparently this guy had had some sort of success with vending machines, I think it was, or something like that, and made some money and started racing motorcycles. And when he had this funding to do this, he realized, oh, I can just pay to be like in the AMA because it's struggling and whatever. So then he decided to, as a celebrity motorcycle racer, like publicly announce his love for Paris Hilton. There's a whole TMZ thing on this guy. He like bought her an Audi R8 or something and tried to deliver it to her. And of course she doesn't need it. (laughs) And was like, "Mm, nope. And uh, TMZ latched on. They're like, let's interview this guy. So if you go to YouTube and you look up Johnny Rock Page, there's all these crazy things about And you want this guy to be my vice president? Well, hang on. You guys both share a love for politics, apparently, because he ran. For president. For president twice. Yep. As the write-in ballot. And what he needed. How about no? What he needed. (laughs) Well, but hear me out. Hear him out. He needed somebody that understood the Constitution uh, because he he maybe didn't understand how elections work. Yeah, but this guy, Um, like Trump, is not a Closer, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, I mean, if you if you have to send a woman a, a car, answer, sir. if you have to send a woman a car to get a date, and, and then and you still don't get the date, right? That's on you, right? That's no, not a good sign. That so was a perfect answer. No JRP for press. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's not a good sign. You worked with Buckler, right? At one point in time, yeah. How did that go? Well, I think you were involved in that. I was. Oh, oh, I clued into that in okay. the conference room earlier. <laughs> so, you out, so, you didn't so that's really what this is about. No, no, <laughs> this no, no, whole no, thing no, is no, about no, that. No, because like, like we wanted to have you be our lawyer on the TV show because it's a great cameo and it's hilarious. No, we can't get into the details oh. of this. No, it'll okay. create major. I don't need any more problems right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the so you raced uh, the Daytona 24-hour. You've raced Sebring. Long Beach, and you've raced Le Mans. What's the and what, and some other races? Right, but let's just take those as like the crown jewels. What what was the one that stands out the most? Le Mans. Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, it's an unbelievable event, just in every uh, in every sense of the word. Just incredible passion, huge attendance, historical. Obviously, you're in France. The uh, uh, the track is is very challenging, yes. incredibly challenging. So fast. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first time that I went out, uh, and you don't have a lot of time yeah, right, on the right. track, right? So when you go there as a rookie, the learning curve is very steep. Uh, you know, you have basically the, the one test day yeah. uh, a week or two before the race, as I recall. And when I went, uh, I was supposed to get in the car earlier in the day, and for whatever reason, that didn't happen. I think there may have been a mechanical issue, et cetera. And so ultimately, they put me in the car at dusk uh, to go out at Le Mans. And uh, literally, literally, but the first time, okay? And it's, I mean, it's, it's getting pretty dark. It yeah. wasn't like early dusk. It's yeah. near it's dark. dark. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget this. I go out of pit lane, come through like the first two corners, and it starts to pour rain. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Good. And and uh, I'll never uh, I'll never forget this. I'm going down the uh, uh, I'm going down the back straight in the pouring f-ing rain, in the dark, at Le Mans, at like you know 185, 190 miles an hour uh, in this uh, 458 at the time. And these prototypes are going past me like I'm f-ing standing still, right. throwing 
buckets of water yes. on the car. You can't see shit, right? The car is all over the place. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and this is this is the most frightened I've ever been in a car by by far. And I'm thinking to myself, what the f am I doing out here? Like this is right. bat crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, it was you couldn't see shit. Pouring rain. It, it was it was a handful. Uh, needless to say, that was my first introduction uh, to Le Mans. Uh, but uh, you know, it's an unbelievable event, and I was very fortunate to be able to to uh, run in that race. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just spectacular. So, being a gentleman driver, you're pretty much always paired up with pro drivers of, of some you know rank or another. Who would you say your best teammate you ever had was? Wow, that's a. Uh, that's a that's a tough Definitely question. Definitely wasn't Court Wagner. Court Wagner's a piece of shit. Yeah, apparently. He tried to kill you. <laughs> I won't call him a piece of shit, but he but that was a little <laughs> crazy. Yeah, you know, turn it over a guy at a doing, golf man? cart with an SUV. Yeah. Right? Can you imagine if that two was, days for the twenty four hour? Yeah, two, two yeah. days yeah. for the twenty four hour. It's not like the Sunday when the test <laughs> is over. <laughs> you know, I would I would say that uh, I was probably closest with um, with Damian Faulkner. You know, who's an underrated guy, uh, very quick, very solid driver, and just a really, you know, good human being. Yeah. Um, and he drove with the team that you started, GB. Uh, was, did you guys have a prior relationship? No. Okay. No, uh, but he had a relationship uh, with my engineer at the time. With Cole Scroggum? Uh, no, well. Or Mario Prezel? Yeah, with Mario. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, who's yeah. another great guy. He's yeah, a character. He's eccentric. I, yeah. I love Mario. Yeah. Mario, yeah. we had a lot of we had a lot of laughs and a lot of good times. Um, you know, Mario and and uh, Damian and me. But you know, Damian didn't get a lot of credit uh, for as quick as he was, and he was you know he could hang it out there with the best of them. Uh, yeah. And you know, I would probably say that uh, that he was one of my favorite, or you know, probably my favorite, probably the guy that I was yeah. um, closest to. Do you have a uh, least favorite teammate? Say, Court Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> a least favorite teammate. You know, I don't know that. Say I, Mike, I Mike Skeen. No, no, no. Mike I was, Mike no, horrible. I'm not going to say. He's a terrible person. No, no, no. Can I you just say Mike Skeen you know to make I us love, happy? Yeah. I love, listen, I love Skeen. <laughs> Skeen, is a, Skeen is another guy. He's hugely underrated. Yeah. Hugely yeah. underrated. Yeah. But that's not I mean, funny, Skeen Michael. The, yeah. the joke is that Mike Skeen's a piece of shit. That, but, okay. yeah, but Mike Skeen is not a piece of shit. When you and uh, Damien were together, there was a string of races where you guys kept getting contact, and it seemed like you were getting the rough end of the, of the deal because, like, you guys wouldn't see any penalties for the guys causing the contact. And you were very – Well, you mean like – you mean like – Eight races in a yeah, row, right, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, it was unbelievable. The whole we would season. be yeah, right. Yeah. It, it was unbelievable. We kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door. We were right there every race, and then somebody would, you know, come out of left field and take us out, and yeah. there'd be no f penalty. So, and I was pretty vocal. At the you time. were very vocal. Weird. And, Imagine that. And and that's fine. <laughs> You're very vocal with IMSA, and I think one of the quotes I read was that you thought that uh, club racing at the time had a better officiating system taking place in IMSA. That was true yeah. at the time. Okay. That was true. I don't know what it is now because I haven't followed it as closely. Right. But, you know, at the time. But but this was, as I recall, this was before they uh, they brought in Bo. Okay. So I don't know if, if Bo is still. No, I think Bo is actually there when, when you made this comment because he's on the press release with you on Sports Car 365. Maybe he had just come in. <laughs> yeah, something. but you did mention he's like, I'm glad Bo's here, but, like, you guys need to. And you, okay. you had advocated for more cameras. 
Right. Which I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with that because then there is no questioning it. You well, know? no, I remember there was an incident in Austin. That's exactly right. And that's what probably led yes. to this. That was yes. kind of the last straw for me. Yeah. Was that there was, and, and they claimed that they couldn't, you know, they didn't have a camera yeah. in that particular place or that part of the track. And I'm thinking right. to myself, well, you that's know. that's not an answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what the f*** is this professional racing or not? How yeah. can you not have a camera at a yeah. track like Austin? That makes no sense. Now, as I recall, they reached out to, um, they reached out to, you know, kind of start a dialogue about what had happened. Yeah. You know, which I appreciated. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, they were pretty decent about it. They weren't, at least to me, they were not irate yeah. about what had happened or what I had said. I don't know how they, what they said internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I got their attention, which is one of the things that I wanted to do. At the point that you're racing in IMSA and you're making comments like that, you're already a lawyer. You've already done political work as well. So do you know that you're putting it out there publicly because you want the series to go, hey, we should maybe look at this and like Well exactly. Yeah. I mean that's why yeah. I, I wasn't just putting it out there just to see right. my name in print. It was there was a there was a, a target. There yeah. was a, a a cause behind it, a reason behind it I should say. What was your take on the documentary that, that was made, the Lamont one? Garbage. <laughs> you wanna think about it? Yeah, tell, tell me what you really think. <laughs> no, it was look, it was complete garbage the way that first of all you know, the way that that was shot and then edited and, uh, you know, the people that know about what actually happened. Right. And just to, for those who don't necessarily know the story, the, the perspective here is is there was when you were running with Patrick Dempsey and, and that whole deal, um, they made a documentary about Patrick trying to get to Lamar. You were teammates and, and, and kind of co-runners of the team. And, um, and then there was sort of a falling out that they documented. Yeah, correct, and, yeah. and they and the way that they documented what had happened is not what actually had happened. And the fact of the matter was, was that, um, but for my relationship with Porsche and the relationship that I had established with Porsche, that would have never come together for Patrick at Le Mans with Porsche. I was the one that put that deal together. In fact, when that documentary came out, the CEO of Porsche Motorsports for North America, Jens, Jens Walter, ca- yeah. called me on the phone, who I knew very well, and said, apologized, really said, I'm, you know, I feel terrible for you. He didn't have anything to apologize for, but he said, I feel terrible for you because this isn't what happened. They didn't, they didn't accurately document what really happened. If they would have accurately documented what really happened, they would have documented the fact that they were on the verge of not going to Le Mans and having nothing. And in the 11th hour, I put that deal together in terms of finances with, or in terms with Porsche. Of? Well, in, in terms of because uh, they had gone the way of the prototype, that, that Mazda yeah, the, prototype, the and car, that yeah, thing yeah. was going yeah. nowhere. And right. they were up against it. And it was the 11th hour. And I brought everybody together and brought Porsche to the table and convinced Porsche to get behind the effort and um, convinced Porsche of the marketability, et cetera, relating to Patrick and what they could do with Patrick from a marketing standpoint and how he would be a great brand ambassador. That was my idea. That was my vision that put that whole thing together. But, you know, none of that was reported in the, in the documentary. So, you know, they produced that documentary with an agenda. And, you know, I, I was very upset about, about it. And I was upset for a while. But, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes things in life appear really important. And then other things happen and they're not so yeah, important. Right, right. So, you know, or it was a sports car race. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. So, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, since then, there's been a lot of other 
uh, a lot of other press around me that is probably a little more prominent than the documentary of about Lamar about seven Lamont. years ago. Yeah, you know, right. but yeah. but uh, GTLM yeah. class. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. So you've been a celebrity now for a little while. Have you had any starstruck moments, like where you're walking through like a lobby and someone recognizes you and you're like, oh, fuck, you're so and so? Outside of tonight, of course. Yeah, other than Dinner with Racers, season yeah, five. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been fortunate. There's been a number of those moments. Um, Michael Jordan walked over Whoa, to me. Dude. Okay, that's, yeah, that's as big that's, as it gets. Okay, the end. Yeah. And uh, Oprah. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I was in the, I was in the uh, restaurant at the Park Hyatt probably this is April of last year. Yeah. You know, all this stuff had just taken off, and he came over and introduced himself and, you know, told me uh, what a great job I was doing and keep it up. You know, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christy Brinkley uh, came up to me and, Kids, and Christy Brinkley yeah. <laughs> was, was you know was was a was a big fan and and uh, admirer uh, you know a, a few months after that in the Hamptons uh, yeah. one night at a party right. you know, that was pretty flattering. Um, there's been uh, oh Cranston from Breaking Bad. Oh Brian Cranston, he that's, came up to me hero. at the. Uh, yeah. Bob De Niro called me on the phone. What? what? Called you? He called me on the phone. I, what, what this, is, is, this is probably about uh, April or May of, of last, last year. year. Yeah. And I get a phone call, uh, and uh, this woman says, uh, Mr. Avenatti? And I said, yeah. And uh, she says, this is so-and-so. I'm an assistant for Bob De Niro. And um, I said, Robert De Niro? And she goes, yeah, Bob De Niro. Can you hold for him? And I'm thinking, you know, who, what is this for? Howard Stern or something. Yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah. And so, all of a sudden, Bob De Niro's on the phone, yeah. and it's Bob De Niro. Bobby D. He says, he says, he says, Avenatti, listen, this is Bob De Niro. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. He goes, Avenatti, listen, this is Bob De Niro. Now look, you're doing a lot of good work, okay? And I like you, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm very worried that you are promising too much. Do you really think you could take this or out or not? <laughs> this is what he says to me. Like, Hello, right, sir. Right, right, yeah. right. Nice to I meet said, you too. I yeah. said, I said, Bob, I generally do not uh, over-promise and under-deliver. He goes, well, I'm f***ing worried about this. Don't f*** this up, okay? It's good to talk to you. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, at me, talking at me. And, that's, and that, wow. is exactly, that is exactly what happened. Best famous party you've gone to? Like, has there been like, hey, you got to come over to – insert celebrity here's house and there's like 20 famous people there um i went to a uh i went to a party at the um they had a i think it was vanity fair one of the one of the groups had this party in new york in in around april or may of last year for the 100 most influential people um in new york media and they invited me to go to that and uh i went to that and you know i was like the bell of the ball I mean, this was the this height was, of yeah, everything. Yeah, this right? was last year, and so yeah, yeah. everybody and their brother wanted to this take pictures guy, and yeah, talk yeah, to me. Yeah. Martha Stewart came over to me, wanted a picture. Uh, you know, I mean, it was you know anybody. It was anybody and everybody. And I thought at the time, I thought you know, when this whole thing <laughs> craters someday, <laughs> I swear to God, I thought this, and I, I told somebody, I go, when this, when, when I hit the wall out of four at you know two two ten. Um, and they're air vacuuming me out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember this moment right here because this was the pinnacle. Right, right. So there was that party. There was a party in the Hamptons that yeah. uh, that Don Lemon had. That was the party with Christy Brinkley and others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I was very fortunate. I got to go to some some fun events. You know. Okay. But I was so. also, you know, I was also conscious on a regular basis. I was trying not to get too 
um, I was trying not to get too high mm -hmm. because I knew that eventually it was going to, you know, what goes up must come down. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, and I'm also cognizant of the fact that the rate of descent is exponentially greater than the rate of ascent. Yeah, yeah, And uh, Well, because you're an overnight success, and then you're yeah. on the downslope until it's not popular anymore. Exactly. But right. fortunate enough that it happens at an age where you're aware of it. Yeah, right. that's a good like point. A no, no, if it was, like, no, yeah, if it was yeah. like 20 or 25, yeah. been, oh, yeah, right. who, knows what, who knows what the would have happened. Yeah, right, yeah, right. I would have, I would have woke up like without a kidney and yeah, you know, right. maybe without yeah, a pulse or some shit. Yeah. Right. yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. I don't know you well enough to know if you have like a close group of friends that you run around with that aren't necessarily famous or politically yes, I, based yes, or whatever. Yes, I do actually. I mean, you know, I have a, a very close-knit group uh, that, uh, you know, I've known for a long time. Yeah, you yeah. Know, guys that, you know, guys that I grew up with that I've known 30 years. Uh, and, you know, I'll say this. There's a lot of people that want to ride with you in the limousine when times are good. That's You're where stealing we're going my question, this. sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but you want to you want somebody close to you that will take the bus with you when things are bad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very fortunate that I've got friends that you know will take the bus with me, mm -hmm. uh, figuratively speaking. Yeah. And uh, you know I maintain the same group of friends during all of this. You know, and I have I've had the same group for many many years. And so I think I had a very healthy outlook on all of this during the rise and I think that's serving me well you know but with that said I mean you know you go from whatever 20 friends to 2,000 friends to 10 friends when like this happens yeah, yeah, right yeah, and right. you know I'd be lying if I wasn't lamenting the fact that you know I'm not the bell of the ball as I was last year but you know in the grand scheme of things who gives a right I mean what really matters at the end of the day yeah you know, what matters at the end of the day are the people that you've had in your life for a long period of time that you can count on and that, um, you know, and that you can uh, really call your friends. Yeah. So. I, I noticed a, a thing you posted the other day on Twitter is about your ex-wife who has, is the mother to your two daughters. Correct. And it was very heartfelt. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not saying this in a negative way. I don't remember a tweet like that from you in a while, but it kind of shocked, not shocked me, but I was like, oh, that's like. That's telling tweet because it was like I just wanted to say thanks to I don't know her name I'm sorry no, no Christine yeah, yeah Christine I mean, she, I've, so I've known Christine since uh, 1991 uh, yeah and uh, she's the mother of my two daughters uh, 16 and 14 soon to be 17 and 15 she's remarried she has two additional kids yeah but she's been you know a huge supporter through all of this you gave the the new husband credit in the tweet as well I did for solid being, guy yeah no and I like him quite a bit and he's done a great job with my daughters right yeah where does that come from what stems that tweet you know I think that when when things like this happen you know I'm, I mean I'm facing you know considerable challenges right now I mean this is serious um, and when you've taken the journey that I've taken especially over the last 18 months uh, and you find yourself in this spot, you begin to take stock of your life, you know, and you look back not only the last 18 months, but over the course of your life. And it goes back to what we were talking about moments ago, which is you realize, you know, who the people in your life that you can really count on are. Okay. And, um, you know, she's been a huge supporter, both, uh, both her and her husband have been uh, incredible to me, you know, over the last six months and have been there every step of the way. And I wanted to acknowledge that publicly. You know, what was amazing was, I guess because it's out of character, at least against at least my public character, you know, people were like, 
are you okay? Yeah, like right. people yeah. were suggesting, like yeah. you know, like, like yeah. maybe I was on the top of a fucking tall building yeah, right. somewhere yeah. or something like that, yeah. you know. And and uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I, so just I didn't, I didn't take it as it. that, but I was like, okay, that's coming from somewhere. But that there's a real, there's a real feeling behind that, like something's, you know, he really wanted to get off his chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but I just I wanted to publicly uh, acknowledge her. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the whole rat race and everything that's going on, and not yeah. take a moment yeah. to thank the people that matter that are around you. So. In March, you were picked up in New York uh, by the feds, and it's said that your one phone call was your mother. Correct. I called my mother from, uh, from uh, my meeting with pretrial services before I bailed out. So, at the, you know, up to this point in your life, and maybe I'm looking at it from the wrong perspective, but it seems like you've gone from success to success to success to success, and then this year has been a pretty rough year in a lot of ways. Um, Oh, what makes you say that? I <laughs> say things are looking up. He's on dinner with racers, yes. right? Um, uh, so what? I finally got on this f-ing podcast after two years. <laughs> but like you know, with your daughters, your mother, like that's a tough thing to sort of look at. What was that? Because I assume you probably knew this was coming before. No, you got I, up. I actually did not have really. Uh, no, I didn't okay. have any indication that it was coming. It was it was a it was a shock to me when it happened. Um, yeah, without a doubt, it was a it was a shock to me. I, I'm still shocked that I was charged in this Nike case, but that's a whole other story. But no, I was surprised. I did not have any indication that it was really. So this was just it was out of the it was, it was out yeah. of the blue. Yeah, I'd flown in on the red eye from New York um, that morning and had checked into my hotel and laid down to take a nap and uh, and then was subsequently you know picked up a couple hours later. Yeah. So the call to your mother was completely impromptu. Completely impromptu, out. and of course. You know, they were already holding. They had already held their press conference. It was all over the news. You just didn't know. Yeah. Right. I didn't know because, you know, when you're in custody, they're not giving you updates on what CNN's reporting on. They're not, you're not allowed to watch television. So, uh, you know, I called her, and I didn't know, you know, what she had seen or not seen, but it became apparent to me almost immediately that uh, that she had seen the news. How hard is that aspect of it? You know, you never want to call your parents and tell them you've been arrested. Right, especially when they're in their 80s, and uh, you know, it was a, look, that was a very difficult phone call to make. But you know, it's a necessary phone call. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta figure out what you're gonna do next at that point. You know, one step uh, in front of the other. I mean, my primary focus at that point was, you know, getting bailed out because I didn't want to spend the night in custody there. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was my goal. There was going to be plenty of time for. You know, for emotional discussions after the fact. Right. That po- right now, at that point in time, done. right, at that point in time, exactly. Yeah. We weren't going to delay. Yeah. So you have two teenage daughters. How old are they? 16 and 14. Okay, so at 14 and 16 years old, you're asking a lot of questions. And I'm sure at school they're getting questions from friends. As a father, how do you... I so mean, they are incredibly, you know, my daughters are very resilient. Yeah. Um, they are... Uh, they're, they're tough, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons why they're tough is because, uh, you know, I think, again, Christine and, and her, and her uh, husband have done a really good job, and, you know, I also think they get some of that resilience from me, at least I, I like to think so. Uh, you know, it's interesting because right after this happened, probably the next weekend, so it was like thir- three or four days later when I got back from New York, and uh, I went out to lunch with them uh, to talk about everything, and I was shocked that they were not more emotional about it. And uh, so I asked them, I said, you know, how are you guys doing? Are you guys doing okay with all this? 
and uh, one of them said, uh, Dad, we take our lead from you. And the other one said, you know, you seem to be okay. So when you stop being okay, then we're going to stop being okay. But right now, you know, we, we're okay because you're okay. And so, you know, that was really illuminating for me. I mean, I always kind of intuitively felt that or knew that. But to have them articulate it really brought home to me how important it was, you know, even if I was scared to at least put on a good front for my daughters, for their sake, right? And, and look, it really depends on, on how you look at these things. Why are you going to spend every minute of every day um, completely stressed out about this in an emotional turmoil, you know, unable to, you know, eat or sleep or function, and then also do that to all of the people around you that care about you? You know, I don't, I don't think that's fair to them. So, you know, do I internalize a lot of this? Of course. Do I compartmentalize it a lot? Yes. Uh, you know, in, in some ways it's no different than racing. When you put that helmet on and you get, you strap in and you're in the car, you can't be worried about all the other in your life, right? If you are, bad things are going to happen, right? You're going to get hurt. So you have to be able to really focus on the task at hand and not worry about a lot of the noise around you and a lot of the other things that are going on around you. And I mean, I've, you know, I've learned that. I've, I've taken that lesson from racing. I've applied it in trials. I certainly apply, applied it in connection with the Stormy case and that whole, you know, the whole storm around that. And I'm now applying that same life lesson to, uh, you know, to the challenges that I'm facing now. I've taken a lot of lessons from racing, actually, and put them to work um, in my life and in connection with the challenges that I'm facing now. You know, if you, if you want to lay down a hot lap, if you really need that lap, there's only one way to attack it. You don't attack it in total. You attack it one corner at a time. One break zone, one apex, <laughs> one mark on the exit, one corner, one corner, one corner, one corner. And if you do what you need to do at the end of the lap, you got your flyer, right? If you look at it globally, you're not going to get the flyer. You're not going to succeed. And so I'm really trying to utilize that approach right now relating to, you know, all of the challenges that I face. And I've got a lot of, a lot of challenges, but I can't look at it necessarily globally. I have to take it one corner at a time. Right. And, and that part makes a lot of sense. And you've this entire time been extremely positive about, you know, the, uh, hoping that you can turn the outcome the way you want it to go. And, and, uh, and that's the only outlook I assume you can take, really. Um, if things don't go the way you want them to with that sort of corner-by-corner corner mentality, is this something you prepare something like your daughters or your mother for? I think so. I mean, I, you know, you have, to, uh, you have to prepare for that potential outcome. Right. I mean, like, has um, that discussion happened? That, look, this could go bad. Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want – I'm not going to share the details relating to that because i got to be a little careful. But, you know, of course, you have to be – you know, unless you're just going to be completely delusional, and uh, you have to be a realist as to as to the potential of what might happen. I mean, look, I think about that every day. I think about it multiple times a day. How could you not think? No, about but in it? terms of that that conversation with sort of your mother or your, or your daughters. Yeah, you know, of like, course. I yeah. mean, I've had that conversation with you know with with people around me. Uh, but again, what what are you going to do? You know, when you find yourself when you find yourself in this situation, right? You have. You know, you have a handful of options that are facing you, okay? You could take your life, you could run, 
you can curl yourself up into a ball, right, and cry yourself asleep and cry yourself awake every morning and just become a complete hermit, you know, or you can try to have some semblance of your regular life and fight like hell and hope it works out, right? Those are really the only four options. I've thought a lot about this. I am sure. Those, yeah, are, the yeah, only, yeah. those are the only four options. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is very real. This is no yeah. bullshit at this point. I mean, this isn't, right, this, this is my life. I mean, this is, this is you know, what's, gonna my, what's my life going to look like for the next, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? Those are the four options, okay? So I chose the last one because that's, that's how I'm built. That's who I am. That is, I'm going to be true to myself, you know, until, until the checkered flag drops on my life, okay? That's all I know, okay? I've always been a fighter. I've always been an aggressive guy. I've been a guy that, you know, that, that believes in something and, and goes after it. And that's how I'm going to play this out, right? I'm going to go with the, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the girl that, that I brought to the dance. Right? <laughs> and that's the, and that's the approach. And that's what I, and that's what I know. And I'm not going to change at this point. Now, you know, maybe in retrospect, you know, maybe I will have wished that I chose some other option, but none of those other options are really on the table for me right now. Well, but to your laptop analogy, you can't go, oh, that corner was blown. Like, no, you got to think about how to, right. how to make that lap time up. Yeah, right, because yeah. there's, right, because yeah. this stuff's coming at you very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Okay, this yeah. is, this is, this is a, this is the, you know, in many ways, the biggest race of my life. And, and it's, you know, it, it matters. And so to your point, you're absolutely right. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. So. Much lighter note here. Uh, there is, and again, this isn't coming from a bad place. There is a potential that you could end up having to go to jail. If that happens, can we run your Twitter account? <laughs> All right. You know what? I'll think. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll take about it. I'll take it. I'll think about it. I'll take it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's all we really that, want. That's this really, whole thing was just a yeah, big it's literally just a Well, you know what? To be pitching. honest with you, I've spent a lot of time with you guys today. Yeah. It's about <laughs> time. <laughs> I mean, I thought that that's what we were Get talking to about. Point, right? I mean, I've, been looking, yeah. I've been looking for somebody to run my Twitter account in well, the, in the event that you're familiar with Sean's work. Right? I think we can handle some stuff okay. here. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Perfect. Great ending. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to get grief on this episode. Uh, I mean, this, yeah. Uh, yeah, just because people, people just have it. opinions. Yeah, Listen to it. You no, might I'm very controversial. I don't know if you're aware, but the internet can be a vicious place. No, I'm place, very, so. I'm very, no, look, I mean, so it's toxic. There's, people are going to, there's going to be some people who say we didn't go hard enough at you. Other people yeah, are going to, other people are going to say that we asked too many tough questions or it wasn't about racing. Like, they, yeah, we're going to get matter. so many opinions. Yeah. What is your honest feeling about the way we do this? And I know we're right here, so it's kind of hard to say anything good or bad. Yeah, but, but uh, be straightforward. But like, for somebody who's going to take away this, like, oh look, look. I mean, when you sit down for, I've done a lot of interviews. When yeah. you sit down for an interview, the the most you can realistically ask for is that they hit the ball down the middle, right? They hit the ball in the middle of the fairway, and they give you a fair shake. And I think you guys hit the ball down the middle of the fairway. I obviously haven't heard how it's edited yet or how you use the statements that I just made, by the way. But <laughs> just to be clear. It's not our it has, fault that you hate Mike Skeen so much. Uh, I don't yeah, know Mike Skeen's yeah. a real piece of shit. But, yeah. but, but, <laughs> but I will say that, uh, you know, look, I think you guys gave me a fair shake, and that's all I can ask for. That was our, our, our thing with Scott Tucker when people were like, well, you didn't ask about this or this. And I'm like, yeah, but God, it's Can you like, please just do me a favor? Please stop 
fucking saying well, Scott Tucker's the reason name. I mentioned Scott, the reason I mentioned him is because a gentleman driver b no public, I know public I know, things but you know. and no one ever was like why didn't you ask Mario Andretti about that time he didn't work you know what I mean it was yeah, easy see, to lump in on that the difference is that you know Scott's a dick. <laughs> Did you see the, the series at the end? They're like, do you have any regrets? He's like, no, I'm a businessman. It's like, dude, say yeah. yes. They literally end that episode with, do you think you're a good guy? The dirty money thing we're talking about? Yeah. The last thing in the very episode. Actually, let me ask you this. Pretend you're Scott Tucker for me. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. Just said, okay. Which you okay. just said you didn't want to. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. If, if the question is this, to me there's one answer. Do you think you're a good person? Uh, there's no question that I'm a good person, but I'm not a perfect person. See, that's, that's a fucking great answer. answer. That's give. the only answer you can give yeah. if you understand PR. His answer, and I'm not making this up, was I'm a business person. It's like, dude, dude, dude. You know, the first yeah. time the first time I got <laughs> by Scott Tucker was in the uh, was in the middle of turn two at Laguna Seca <laughs> when he T-boned me in a GT3 race and came like a, I was in the middle of the corner and right, he came right. like a missile out of nowhere yeah. and T-boned me in the middle of the corner and never even bothered to come up to me afterwards and apologize or right. say, hey, you and know. the parts bill was 800% more than it should have been. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I use him, as I use Jeremy Mayfield as well. I just don't know how familiar you are with him as a driver, but he had a very controversial public, you know, past and so people even with jeremy are like well you guys should have interviewed him because he had this thing happen to him we're like well why not like why can't we ask him questions and if he wants to answer him he wants to answer him you know you what guys I mean? are not like, promoting i mean this isn't like you know some promotional tour you're you know you guys are interviewing people that have yes. you know something interesting to say and yeah. and you ask questions they give answers and people can make determinations it's, it's amazing how how you just don't see that like people don't get that so you had some idea who we are. Obviously, we have a very specific audience. But what was your hope in the, the legacy you'd leave behind on, on this sitting would be? On this sitting? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope people, you know, a lot of people have a view of me and what I'm all about because of the last you know, 18 months. But they really haven't taken a moment to learn more about me as a person and kind of what I've been involved in away from politics. And so hopefully this has given them a little more insight as to, you know, kind of what I'm all about. And, you know, maybe I'm less of an asshole than they thought I was to begin with. You uh, obviously have a lot of public history and, and, you know, history has shown that they make movies about people with that. People like that have book deals. Is there a Michael Avenatti book coming at some point? You know, I, I don't know. I don't have any plans right now, yeah. but, you know, never say never. We'll see what we'll see what happens. You get uh, I, I will. You know, I'll say this. Someday, however the story is told, uh, it'll be entertaining, and it'll be a hell of a lot better than Driven. (laughs) (laughs) Who plays you in the movie? That's what I was going to ask. (laughs) Who plays me in the movie? Um, You're right down the street. Well, Patrick Dempsey sure as f*** doesn't play me in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You said it? No, who plays me in the movie? Um, No, I don't know. Look. DiCaprio would be, I mean, that'd be a great, settle down, settle down, hey, I'm just going to go for the tip top here, hey, listen, I pulled the dentist, yeah, (laughs) right, 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 going right to the Indy 500, yeah, okay, so, uh, I'm good, yeah, Continental's got the check, I'm finished, well, there you have it, Michael Avenatti, uh, we'll go ahead and close this one out with a song called Mexico or Mexico. Depends on how you want to pronounce it. And it's put together by a group called Husbands, and it's available on musicbed.com.
Without it.